Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. My guest this week is a husband, father, podcast host, and he's a leading national advocate to end dad deprivation and parental alienation, Eric Carroll of Dad Talk Today. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. I've been sitting here watching these headlines and, uh, when I was looking at this earlier today, I said, I'm just going to go on and do an impromptu episode. Maybe I could have promoted this and waited uh, for more people to join in, but we're going to go ahead and do it. Um, we're going to talk about the subject of domestic violence and how it happens equally uh, to men. That is such a controversial subject. And I'll tell you now, even though that we're talking about it, it's going to be these guys just hate moms. Uh, they're making it a gender issue, the, the whole nine yards. And you know what that is? That is the cancel culture trying to tell you to shut up. I think there is something that has really been bringing light to this uh, as of lately, and it's the Johnny Depp case. And there is a part of that that makes me pissed off and makes me excited at the same time. The reason I'm pissed off about it is this has been happening for decades to millions of men, and people have been trying to get awareness about it. Uh, and now a celebrity is going through it, so now everybody's talking about it, right? But at the same time, I'm glad that it's actually out there. And when we're talking about this particular case, man, you are talking about textbook. Um, textbook, uh, domestic violence, intimidation, gaslighting, the whole nine yards. When it comes to domestic violence and talking about men, it's just not a subject that is PC. Nobody really cares, right? But I know from the thousands of men that we've heard from, the fathers on this page, uh, and just out in the general public, that this is a real problem. And so guys, if you are here today and you're listening to this, one of the things they do is try to silence your voice when you're talking about this. I'd love to see you down in the comments. Tell us a little bit about what you're going through or what you've been through. And if you've got any thoughts and comments on this, put it down there. We'll read it on the show and we'll talk about it together. One of the advantages of the recent Disney scandal is that people are beginning to talk openly about the manipulations and distortions of romance and popular culture, which have been spread through animated films. Naturally, there are many such distortions, orphaned heroes, defiant princesses, subtle slants on traditional family themes, not to mention religion. But to me, one of the most jarring subversions comes from six simple words, and they lived happily ever after. You know when these words appear, they show up at the end of the film. The hero has gotten the girl, or the princess has found her prince, or at least she used to before Frozen. The pair kiss at their wedding, and the screen fades to black as everyone gets their happy ending. But as anyone who's married would probably agree, the story doesn't end at the wedding. It begins there. Happily Ever After sets mistaken expectations for love, marriage, and romance. Because as the author Gary Thomas asks in his book Sacred Marriage, what if God didn't design marriage to make us happy, but instead to make us holy? 
Those are heavy words, and there's a lot in there to think about. What's even heavier is that they represent the best-case scenario. And one of the unfortunate disadvantages of our age is that examples of the worst-case scenario are becoming more and more common. The worst-case scenario isn't just love gone wrong, but love gone bad to a destructive and institutionally violent degree. No-fault divorce began in 1969, signed into law in California by then-Governor Ronald Reagan, which he later called one of the biggest mistakes of his political career. No-fault divorce allowed men and women to get divorced without cause, not because of abuse or adultery, but just because they felt like it, or because they weren't in love anymore. Easy divorce becoming a part of American culture has led to an entire field of lawyers, bureaucrats, therapists, mediators, agencies, and more, collectively called the divorce industry, which is worth tens of billions of dollars annually. With that much money on the line, it's not hard to see how the incentives are all wrong. We have a multi-billion dollar industry that profits from the declining happiness and stability of American families. Furthermore, when paired with the anti-male feminist ideals that have run rampant throughout government and culture, the divorce industry has become an institutional weapon that disgruntled women can and do use against men to take their income, livelihood, and even worse, their children. This has led to a phenomenon called parental alienation, which is one parent, typically fathers, being denied access to their kids through a web-like bureaucratic nightmare of laws, lawyers, and law enforcement agencies, all under the guise of, quote, protecting children and punishing deadbeat dads, but which has the unmistakably bitter flavor of vindictiveness. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Eric Carroll, and he's a husband, father, and host of the Dad Talk Today podcast. And he's become a national leader, speaking out against parental alienation for dads, in a short time rising from podcast host to well-recognized personality within national political circles. To give you some idea of just how widespread this issue of parental alienation is and how much energy is behind it, Eric started Dad Talk Today in August 2019. And in less than three years, it's amassed 80,000 followers on Instagram and nearly half a million followers on Facebook. He also produced and directed a 70-minute documentary with over 2 million views on YouTube. But I'm betting that you haven't heard his name mentioned much in the men's movement. It's my belief that that's because of the power of the happily ever after. It's something that calls to not just women's hearts, but men's too. We all want the happy ending. But disaster happens to some men. And that's the truth. Which is why I was excited to have Eric on the podcast so we can get a look at the situation honestly, see the misfortunes of our brothers, and come together as men in ways we might not have considered before. In our conversation, Eric and I discussed the political response or non-response to parental alienation of dads, the double standard of men's and women's emotions, men's need for self-care and what that looks like, the external and internal politics of the men's movement, Eric's personal story and how he started Dad Talk Today, And finally, Eric's documentary about John Mast, a father who was murdered during a custody exchange, an increasingly common occurrence. Again, I need to emphasize that whether the men suffering from parental alienation are our neighbors, relatives, or friends, these men are all our brothers. 
the war on masculinity now exists in the political realm, with real levers of power being brought to bear upon the American family through the American father. These aren't easy or comfortable subjects to look at, but they are important ones, and Eric Carroll is a man of profound courage and commitment for continuing to be a voice for it when our culture and media would prefer to write it off and pretend it doesn't exist. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please don't forget to share this episode with the men in your life. And if you have a moment, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and also a rating on Spotify. Turns out I got review bombed after my spring spectacular satire episode with Donald Trump. Some people just can't take a joke. So if you're on Spotify now, please click the five-star rating and help bring this podcast back up in the rankings. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the host of Dad Talk Today, Eric Carroll. Eric Carroll from Dad Talk Today, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Hey, Will, thank you so much. Um, So as we were chatting before we uh, hit record, you know, I talk a lot about the Renaissance of Men and the Renaissance of Women and the Great Reconciliation as this vision for men and women and, and families to sort of come together and, and blaze a new tra- a trail forward. Um, but one of the things that's sort of in my blind spots is the reality that there are lots of men out there in the world that have had similar visions for romance and family and fatherhood and, uh, and riding off into the sunset with their partner and had their hopes absolutely dashed by any numbers of, number of factors, including the family court system. So I was really, uh, I am really excited to talk to you today because I want to kind of address this subject, which is very real for many men. I know that you have a, a great read on it. Absolutely. You know, it's, and it's a very big rabbit hole to go down. There's yeah. so many different things that are tied into this system between incentives, uh, the legislation, the attorneys, the judges. It's, it's a lot going on. These men definitely need to be aware because we, we need to get that awareness out there because this has been going on for decades. Yeah, really for has. sure. Well, let's start with a little bit of your story. I know that there's a court case going on, so there's only so much that you can say, but maybe introduce men a little bit to your background and how, I don't want to say how you found your way into this, really how, how this found its way into your life is maybe a better way of looking at it. You know, I, I, I won't lie to you. There was a, many mistakes that I made along the way. Um, my, my story started off in Columbus, Georgia. I'm the son of a pastor. Both my granddads were pastors. So I had that natural uh, rebellion built into me mm-hmm. with that. Um, I was a single father by the time I turned 20 years old, raising a one-year daughter, a one-year-old daughter, wow. um, and that kind of put a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I was in a um, marriage where an affair um, had happened uh, against me, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, a couple years later, uh, the same woman said, "You know, she had made mistakes. You know, will you forgive me? Take me back?" And I did that. Um, years later, it ended up happening again, mm-hmm. um, and there, there's something about that, you know, when somebody has cheated on you or went with somebody else, especially for us men with our pride, uh, my self-esteem was little to nothing. Mm-hmm. And I needed somebody to want me because I didn't care for myself. I mean, I was, my self-esteem was at the floor mm-hmm. and I hurried up and jumped into another relationship because I wanted somebody to want me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was probably one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. Uh, I was not ready and uh, I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Uh, How old were you? Real quick. At that point in time, that was 2016. I'm 37 now. So I was about 31 when that happened. Okay. Um, and it didn't last long. Um, 
you know, I won't get into all the different reasons behind that, but it was one of those, like, we don't need to be together, but I still want to be a dad to my child. We can get together and, and do that. But, um, uh, started getting kept away from my child. I showed up on father's day one day on crutches. I had had ACL surgery mm-hmm. and I was in a wheelchair at this point in time. She wouldn't open the door. Let me see my child. Mm-hmm. Um, and this just, it took me to the point that I went talking to some attorneys. I paid one attorney $400 um, for an hour's consultation for him basically to tell me it was cheaper to keep her. You're a man. You're not going to get any type of custody. Um, and his best advice to me was to try to go get back with her. And I was like, this is nuts. Mm-hmm. So I go and find another attorney. And he told me my case was amazing, but he needed $10,000 on retainer to get started. Oh, man. You know, at this point, I was a single father that had two daughters in the household and I was raising. And uh, that was being paid with two incomes. Now it's only one. Mm-hmm. And I'm several thousand dollars in debt. And I'm being told that if I want to be a dad, if I want to get some type of custody, 10000 that's just to get started. And that's when I started seeing what really goes on inside a family court. Um, I went and got a new job that was promising me management and, and more money so I could hopefully go and fight that court case. I was there one month. I worked for Nestle. Um, mm-hmm. I was there for one month when they called us all in and told us to go into a meeting just to inform us that they were shutting the company down uh, worldwide, mm-hmm. our, our division. And I was like, well, here I am back at the start. I'm no closer to getting her. I don't have the, the money to fight it. And, uh, you know, in my 20s and everything, I was a concert promoter. I worked with celebrities and bands. And I said, what if I could bring that spin? to what these men are going through inside a family court, start getting some of these celebrities and bigger voices and really promote this. Cause I felt like an, it was an issue for the most part, especially for fathers that went unnoticed. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that's when I got the idea to start dad talk today. And I did not think it was going to kick off the way it did. I was shocked. We grew very quick. There was 10,000 followers on the Facebook before we did the first podcast. And wow. Wow. Promotion. Yeah. I used a lot of the, the promotion techniques that I did back when I was promoting the bands and stuff and uh, made sure I got the word out there because I knew there was people that was going through it. How do we reach them? Mm-hmm. And a lot of those men started coming in and a lot of the issues that they were facing, I was hearing for the first time. I knew what mm-hmm. I went through in my personal case, mm-hmm. but just being you know vulnerable and going through some of those bad moments and some of the things that I went through. And them hearing that, I think, encouraged them to speak up and, hey, we're not alone here and we've got to do something because this system is definitely biased. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it, man. That's kind of how it all started. And it's been about three years ago now, and it feels like it's uh, just been a couple of weeks. It went by that quick. Wow. So you've been doing Dad Talk today for just three years. I thought I would have thought you've been doing it for much longer. It sort of has that feeling. Yeah. I don't think it'd be three years until uh, September, but, you know, Really quickly into dad talk, I started it in 2019. By the time we was like three to four months old, I got invited to a news station up in North Georgia. And they asked me about these issues and interviewed me on it. When I got home, they said that episode did so well that they wanted to offer us a spot on television. Wow. We ended up doing two seasons on television up in North Georgia, which I later found out we reached more people on the podcast. Local TV isn't as desirable as it once was, but (laughs) hey, man. Three, four months in, we're on TV. Then um, I was invited to CPAC, being the pastor's son, the rock and roll guy. I hated politics, wanted nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I had people telling me, Eric, if you really want to change these issues, you're going to have to start going to these political meetings because you're going to have to get legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I went there as a spectator. I got invited on two shows um, to be interviewed with the media. By the time we got done with that, uh, the media organizer came up and said, man, they said you did a really good job. We heard that you have a show. We want to set you up on Media Row. Hmm. And at that point in time, I had no equipment or anything. But luckily, there was a guy there that knew me and had saw the show and he had camera and equipment. He's like, Eric, let me set up so you can get on Media Row and let's start interviewing these legislators. Wow. They ended up putting us between Sirius XM and Breitbart. And by the time <laughs> we set up, we had a line of legislators waiting to talk to us. Wow. And first time talking to any politicians, but when they heard the message that we were talking about, it resonated. A lot of these legislators are men that have been through these issues themselves. A wow. lot of these women were at people that had sons or a brother or somebody that had went through this as well. And it was interesting to see this happening because you could tell it was for a lot of them the first time they had really talked about these issues. So we learned mm -hmm. along the way. But that's really when we started getting more into the politics and seeing how the system really fits together. And I'm mm -hmm. telling you, man, it's um, we've made a lot of headway in that time, but we still got a long, long way to go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I, I was going to ask about, you know, what you said about making mistakes. And I think all men make mistakes earlier in their lives that they need to be redeemed from. But um, and I want to get back to that. But I'm, I'm curious to hear more about your experience with legislators having having this in their backgrounds. And, and the residents of it, because it seems like there are, you know, there are many quote unquote third rails in American politics, but it feels like talking about men's issues at all might be the third rail that we're not actually allowed to even talk about, like suggesting that there's something going on there is the one thing you definitely can't do. So what's been your experience working with these legislators on Capitol Hill and, and, and maybe, you know, politicians and bureaucrats within CPAC as well? What's been, what's been your, I know that you've, you went, just went back this past year, maybe a week or two ago, you know, what does it look like from inside that world talking about um, father's issues and, and men's issues? Ooh. It's tough because, you know, if you get one of these guys that's been through it, they get it. They're 100% on board. Mm -hmm. But in the legislative arena, this is a swamp. Over half mm -hmm. of our uh, politicians are attorneys. They're a part <laughs> of the problem. Yeah. And when we're trying to get legislative efforts, I think one of the things that hurts us the most is you got these lobbyists that are with the Bar Association. There is millions and millions of dollars to make sure that shared parenting legislation, uh, consequences for false allegations, that anytime this goes in front of the, uh, the House or whatever, that they're going to block that legislation. Well, uh, we've seen in Texas last year, um, 200 parents showed up to the Capitol to get a 50-50 legislative bill going. Seven out of eight people that sat on the Judiciary Committee were attorneys that were hearing this, not only were they attorneys, but they were sponsored by the Bar Association and the very lobbyists that were there to oppose the bill. There was only eight people that showed up in opposition, all who belonged to the lobbyist organization. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, politicians care about two things, money and votes. We don't have much money to give because in this arena, it's mostly guys that have been raked over the coals and, you know, are yeah. doing the best they can. But you know, that's what I use the podcast for. We can get you some votes. We can get you some support out there. And um, I don't know, man. It's when, when you see how deep that is with the lobbyists and how many of those people are there, they're not there to protect our interests. They're there no. to protect their own. And we've got to be real with that. Uh, we've got to overcome that. We've got to overcome that. And so my mindset has changed a little bit from when I very first started. When I very first started talking to these politicians, I'd talk about the fatherless issue, the importance of family, because I was just trying to get the conversation going. Mm -hmm. um, 
I knew not to rock the boat too hard when talking about like Title 4D and government incentives that have broke apart the family because there's a lot of money that goes back to the state uh, to make sure those problems are staying there, especially like Title 4D. They're going to lose. We're going to lose money if we actually come in here and try to get good legislation that protects families. The second they hear that, they're out. They're out of the conversation. So, um, again, we was a little bit more friendly in the beginning, but I started hitting them pretty hard. Even a couple of weeks ago, I sat down and had the same conversation with the senator. I was like, you know, we're being told that we need to get this legislation done on the state level. But when we go to do that, we're met by the lobbyists who are putting money in these politicians' pockets, who just so happen to be most of the time attorneys. And then we're told, well, if that's not working, you need to go legislate the attorneys and judges. That's became the new thing that they like to tell us. So you're telling us as parents, as grassroots activists, that we've got to go educate judges and attorneys that went to school for seven to 10 years to learn this, that working it every single day, we're going to educate them. We're going to teach that old dog new tricks. It's BS, man. Mm -hmm. They know what's going on. And and, uh, that frustration has really been hitting hard here lately. And uh, but I do see it coming around a little bit more. Um, There's there's more people speaking about it, but. it's, it's tough out there, man. So maybe, I mean, I'm, I, I've looked into this a little bit. Um, and, uh, I've also talked to you and Carnell Smith and, and Melissa Isaac at, at 21 convention. So, you know, all three of you guys just blew my mind wide open. Like, I can't believe this is like so real and worse than I even realized. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the, um, what was it that I think one of you called it the divorce industrial complex or something like that, the divorce industry, the scale of it and what's going on here, because I don't know, like men understand the men that I talk to of all ages now understand that the system is stacked against men from an institutional level. And 2020 really made that clear, like with COVID and all that stuff, just how much the institutions in general have turned on humanity. But they also understand that, um, that marriage is a dicey proposition, but they don't really have a good sense of why they don't understand the scale and the scope of just how captured um, uh, the judici- judici- judiciary is and how many lawyers work on behalf of really making sure that fathers don't ever see their kids again and how much money is involved. So maybe just paint that picture for men so they get a scale, a sense of scale of the size of, of, what, of what you and, and uh, other men in the industry are up against. $60 billion a year industry. That's just divorce. Now, when you dip into CPS and what all's going on there, it just gets more and more. Uh, it's a huge industry. I mean, and it's perfect for somebody that's wanting to make money off of it. I mean, let's, let's break it down as simple as we can. You're taking two people that at one point in time loved each other. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a child and somewhere, you know, a- along the lines, they hit some conflict. We no right. longer get along. We don't want to be together anymore. Right. So there's already some conflict there. Now we're going to put them in family court. That's not there to prove how good of a parent the other person is. Mm -hmm. You've got to prove how bad of a parent they are. And we're fussing over the house, the car, the dogs, and then the children get caught in the middle. And it's really promoting that adversarial nature between mom and dad. And by the time they leave there, a lot of these people don't ever want to speak anymore. And that's very sad because no matter if you don't want to be together anymore, that child still needs their mom. They still yeah. need their dad. And uh, but the attorneys know without that conflict, there's not going to be litigation. And without litigation, there's not going to be any money. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's all a good boy system. And then 
you get in some of these uh, cases, you know, they do the discovery. They know how much you got in your banking account. So Mm -hmm. now we know where we can add on psychological evaluations, guardian ad items and all these other people. Um, It's crazy, man. I I, I think there should be some type of legislation. Like if we talk about child support, why aren't we doing like a maximum child support here? I got a father here in the state of Georgia makes $250,000 a year. After he pays his child support each paycheck, he brings home $25. Get this. He still owes $4,500 a month in alimony on top of that. And he's only bringing home 25 out of a $250,000 a year job. But they say that it's based off a percentage of your paycheck. This is not about the best interest of the child. It's not about the child's needs. Uh, If they know that there is money there that they can get, they're going to do it. And what they'll do is they'll tell you, we we, we can get you what you want. You just, you know, you got to go in there you got to do this. You got to do this. Once that money's all gone, Man, we don't really have any more solutions for you. You need to settle or sign whatever they got. Um, mm-hmm. This is criminal. It really is criminal. And, you know, we, we've got to get, again, as much as I hate politics, we got to get some more legislation out there that protects our men. And, uh, but if you are one of those man, men that are listening, realize prevention is better than the cure. Make sure mm-hmm. we're not getting in these situations uh, to begin with and just know, you know, this is, this is something that you could get caught up in. So let's 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 take apart some of the things you just said. So the whole the whole divorce industry is sixty billion with a B dollars, and that's in terms of just legal fees, right? Like that's 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 mostly what you're talking about here. Okay, and then on top of that, you can add the money that goes through taxes, like the child protective services and interventions and stuff like that, right? So and it's hard to say how much that is. Okay, and so a man goes in. A man goes in for like your 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 you and your wife are going to get divorced. Women initiate something like seventy to eighty percent of divorces. Um, you know, so so she initiates the divorce in most cases, and then the lawyers do in, in discovery get access to all your financial records, so they see exactly how much you're worth. And then, it, and what it sounds like you said, and this probably sounds about right, is they start looking at your income and start determining what can they begin carving away from your income, your savings, you know, your, your in your investments, and then they just set about taking as much as they can, you know, ostensibly for for your wife. But the more they get for your wife or your ex, your soon to be ex wife, the more they get for themselves. And then that that sounds like that sounds like a, a really messed up incentive structure. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, there's some people that can speak on it better than me, but the the main thing that I think causes a lot of this is the title 4D of the social security act uh, incentive. Uh, Yeah. Back when Reagan was governor in California, he, he instated no fault divorce, which is where a lot of this stems from. He later said it was the worst thing he did when he was in office. Yeah, no doubt. He admitted it, but the rest of the states adopted it too. Well, at that time, Divorce just skyrocketed, and there were so many single moms that were getting on government assistance, welfare, and food stamps. It was draining the system. Mm -hmm. So they made this Title IV-D of the Social Security Act, which gives incentives from the federal government back to the states based upon how much uh, was being paid in child support or going out to government benefits. Um, Well, it is in their best interest to make sure whoever makes the most amount of money gets the least amount of time so they pay the maximum in child support. And I can show you good reflections of that. I mean, even in Texas, uh, all them parents showed up at the Capitol. I think there was like 60-something legislators that helped sponsor this bill that wanted it to go through. At the end of the day, it didn't go through, but they said, you know what? We're going to give you what's called expanded standard, 4555. 
And you look back at it, well, that's almost 50-50, but why wouldn't you just go ahead and do 50-50? You got 45-55 because Mm -hmm. as long as somebody is not getting an equal amount of time, they can keep the child support system as is because it's bringing in that money. Mm -hmm. There's other things. If you're paying child support and it's coming out of your paycheck, they'll they'll do a three to five dollar processing fee. Well, that might not seem like much when you're doing that every week or every other week and you times that times millions of parents that are going through this. Yeah. There's just so many different ways that they're making that money off of there. Uh, Section 8. Section 8 says, you know, we'll give you government assistance. We'll give you welfare. We'll give you food stamps. But the key is the dad cannot be in the home. Mm -hmm. They have incentivized the fatherless crisis. And um, there's much more that's tied into that. I mean, you go into, you know, the Violence Against Women's Act and and the 94 Crime Bill. I think the African-American community was really one of the biggest targets um, yeah. for them. And they have succeeded. I think the, the, the updated statistics was 73% of the African-American households um, do not have a father in the home. Um, every bit of this was 100% by design. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard for men. It's, it's hard for me to grasp that. I mean, I know that it's real. I know intuitively in my heart that, um, maybe it wasn't all designed like this originally, but certainly there have been many advances made as the system has expanded to say, well, what if we what if we take a piece of that? And what if we take a piece of that? And what if we take a piece of that? And suddenly you look at the totality of it and you realize that you're up against this overwhelming wall of, of uh, let's say, long-term judicial legal force that's been built against men. And a man can't stand up to that. How can you do that individually? You, you just, there's, there's no, there's no individual human force that can stand up against institutional force, which is, which is the point of the whole thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know how familiar you are, Will, with like the Duluth model, some of the training that these attorneys and judges have been given. Yeah. Uh, as familiar as I am, fill the men in listening because men listening might not know. Yeah. So There is something called the Duluth model. It was made in Duluth, Minnesota, and it was uh, there's this representative of power and control will, which Mm -hmm. basically says about 90 percent of the time the man's going to be the abuser, use his male privilege, and he is going to be the the aggressor here. And Mm -hmm. so many people are, are in the law school have been taught this. Well, then you go to 94 with the Violence Against Women's Act, where the Duluth model was definitely one of the, the things that they used to get that in there. And you see. There is millions and millions of dollars in government funding right now. Uh, I, I made the John Mass documentary. John Mass mm-hmm. was the father that, that got shot um, yeah. when he went to pick up his kids. And one of the things that we're wanting to create is safe places where these dads can pick up and drop off their children without fear of either getting an allegation or getting killed. Because mm-hmm. we're hearing more and more cases like this that are happening. So I've been trying to do a little homework and see if we can get some grants or something to get some of these resources because it's going to cost a lot of money. Every one of them are tied to that Violence Against Women's Act. And there's millions and millions and millions of dollars. But fathers are not mentioned. The, the, the mission statement for these places is to protect women and children. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Especially when we see that the domestic violence rates are 50%. Men, 50% women. I mean, they are almost equal, yeah. but you never see a man on a billboard. And yeah. it's little things like that Duluth model, that violence against women's act that have really, um, really, really destroyed that uh, vision of what a man and what a father is. And, and we've got to get them changed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny when you mentioned that the Violence Against Women's Act was uh, 
1994, I think you said. When I talk at when I gave my talk at 21 convention, I gave two quotes from uh, Gloria Steinem and Marilyn French, who were um, major feminist leaders. Of course, Gloria Steinem was like the Beatles of the feminists, essentially, and Marilyn French was another one. And both of those quotes were very explicit, like like almost the quotes are insane. The quotes are literally insane for how much they talked about, you know, the, the, a a woman, I think Gloria Steinem said a woman is more at risk from her husband or boyfriend at home than she is from an army in wartime, which is ludicrous, which is insane. Like, how do you even get off saying something like, like that madness? Right. Well, that quote is from 1992. And so now I can see, and the Marilyn French quote talked about, you know, the vast majority of men are engaged in rape and abuse and abandonment. And the vast majority is the key phrase there. And that quote was from 1993. And you've got me thinking now, I wonder if those two, the, the, how extreme those two quotes were, I wonder if that's all related to the passage of this Violence Against Women Act in 1994, the sort of ginning up the political hype and propaganda mill to really highlight and, and really... Um, to really, I guess, overstate the case of violence against women in order to pass this devastating piece of leg- legislation. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure it is. You know who has the highest rate of domestic violence in the country, right? Lesbian um, couples. Yes, I did know that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but there's the facts. You're not being told that on the mainstream media. Right. And then, you know, the way our culture is played onto this, even entertainment on TV, usually if you see a dad on TV, he's going to be one of three things. He's going to d- be a deadbeat. Uh, in jail or dead. Yeah. Um, in movies and, too. Yeah. In movies too. It's almost every single time. And they've done this really good job at presenting this. And I don't think that we are catching on to it. It's become so accepted. I was watching not long ago. I'm a big fan of Karate Kid and they, they did that spinoff, the Cobra Kai. Have you seen it? I haven't. No. Okay. Well, I, I was sitting there and it didn't dawn on me on first, but there's like eight main characters. And I started going through every single one of them. And I said, you know what they all have in common? Every one of them had a deadbeat father that wasn't there. Yeah. And if, unless you're paying attention to it, you're n- not really catching that, but it's become so normal. Um, you know, one of the movies that I watch now that has so much more meaning to me since I've gotten older and I didn't really pay attention to it when I was younger was Mrs. Doubtfire. There was a guy that had to dress as a woman in order to go and see his kids when he, as a father, he was saying he'd be there. He'd take care of them just like he did without the costume, but wasn't being gave a chance going Mm -hmm. back and watching that movie. that was definitely more accurate portrayal aside from the comedy that was in there, but they have done this in entertainment for years. And now you've got the social media and everything else that's coming out. And uh, along with those type of bills, it's, it's extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. The movie that I think about that make that that where I realized how real these issues are is um, the movie Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Guardians of the Galaxy Two is this giant meditation on uh, meditation is probably too strong a word, but on uh, on abandoned fatherhood. So you have uh, Peter Quill, whose father left him and goes off to spoiler alert, runs off and leaves his mom, and his mom dies of brain cancer. Right, and so Peter Quill discovers that his dad is some some strange alien being who then tries to betray Peter at the end. You have Drax, the sort of purple alien guy who wasn't able to say, who feels guilty because he wasn't able to save his, um, his wife and daughter from Thanos. I think it was, you have, uh, you have Gamora and, uh, and her sister. I'm sorry, I'm not a Marvel fan and their dad is Thanos. And so they're always fighting with each other. You have a rocket raccoon, right? He's some sort of strange created kind of being who doesn't really have an origin. And then you, the only the only character that's like 
at all, I guess, positive is uh, the little uh, Groot, but Groot's like his own father. And so there's no fathers reflected anywhere in this entire thing. And it's all these fatherless people just kind of like creating this cosmic mess. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's like, that's the, that is, that is what Hollywood thinks of fathers now. Or you have Bruce Wayne's dad who like died when he was a little boy. You know what I mean? Like they're just dads aren't around and we don't have a vision in our, in our society of like a, a, it's a wonderful life type of father. That vision doesn't exist anymore. Like that went away years ago. Yeah. I mean, even think like Andy Griffith. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think around the seventies is when you really saw that start to take a turn. Uh, James from good times. I mean, that, that yeah. good authority, you know, that would be looked at as toxic masculinity now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the toxic masculinity is not the problem. It's the lack of masculinity, but you need that strong father in the household and showing that traditional family unit. I mean, even, you know, just talking about the, um, the amount of fathers that are gone, but just single parents that are represented. Um, you know, I know the, the recent statistics has said that divorce is at the lowest just about that it's ever been. And a lot of people have been celebrating that. You got to look yeah. on the other side of that. Um, <laughs> right. Marriage is at an all time low. Single parents is on the rise. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I just wish we could get that, that image of that strong traditional nuclear family. Cause as much as I talk about divorce, um, I think the best case scenario would be to have mom and dad in the household, that mm-hmm. strong, healthy family. But you're seeing some of the stuff that's going on, even in the manosphere, guys are pulling back. They're not having kids. I understand it. I understand it, you mm-hmm. know, and I think we're just going to continue to see more and more stuff like this as the the society pushes the men out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Well, the renaissance of men, you know, as a mission, as a brand is entirely about noble, worthy fatherhood. Like that's, you know, I, and, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I was excited and, and I'm still excited to talk to you. We're talking now, but um, because that, that image, that vision of fatherhood that I have, that's possible that many men feel in their hearts and, and women too, for that matter, um, that it needs to be grounded in some amount of reality. Like, look, this is even, this is the thing that we want. This is the vision but we have to take an honest assessment of the environment that we're trying to bring this into and recognize that the, the deck is, is stacked against it uh, from a legal perspective, a judiciary perspective, a social perspective, a cultural perspective with feminism. Like This is not going to be an easy thing to bring back, but it's worth, and here's the real picture of how bad it can get, and yet we still know that it's worth fighting for. And we can go forward into battle, I guess you might say, with that more grounded awareness rather than kind of being Pollyanna-ish that everything's going to be all right just because we think it will be. Yeah. And I think that's where the men's movement gets so much uh, bad publicity and people just don't understand. They think it's just a, a group of guys that just hates women. It's right. not that. Most of us, especially even in the father's rights uh, you know, arena, we're in this because we loved women. That's it right. was that relationship that we had and that deck that's being stacked against us. Um, that has created that rift um, between mm-hmm. not trusting, uh, not wanting to get into relationships, not wanting to have children. Um, yeah, and I guess I, I guess it's it's totally okay for a woman to be mad at a man uh, who was perhaps even abusive to her earlier in life. Right? It's totally okay to be mad at a man and hold all men responsible for what that one man did. But as a man, if a woman absolutely screws you over and you get angry about it, which you have right to be, that's not okay. And and I don't I don't quite understand. I mean, I, I guess on some level I do. Um, I you know the mechanics of it, but I don't understand how that's all right. Like you know, you talk to um, 
you talk to some of the men that have been run over in family court and they're they're mad they have every right to be they had their boundaries crossed they had their their earnings their savings taken from them their kids taken from them and they're mad and they have right to be and yet it's not okay for them to be mad but you know some some uh, a woman has a has a bad a bad or even abusive boyfriend earlier in life and it's okay for her to be mad and uh, that that double standard you know it's it what it is is actually dehumanizing to men is the sad is the sad fact about it Oh, I agree 100%. I think Melissa Isaac said it best. She's um, emotions uh, lose cases for men and win cases for women. And right. when you get in that courtroom, I think it goes back again to that way, that narrative that uh, that society has grouped men that when they see these emotions, oh, he's just this angry deadbeat um, that doesn't want to pay child support. Because yeah. that's what I've seen mostly, especially when speaking about father's rights. People look at these guys as deadbeats that are angry and just don't want to pay child support. Forget everything that he's done, that he's spent all this money, that he's going to court and doing this. No, that's the um, group that we're going to tap you into. So once you see those emotions, the anger coming out of the man, it's like, see, we told you that's who he was. And we've been mm-hmm. so tuned in to, to the Believe Her movement um, and that you know she is going to be the victim, that it really plays against him. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about a, a little bit about this documentary you did about John Mast, about his story. It was very moving. It's on YouTube, millions of views, and, and I watched it. And, and you did a great job with that. Just tell a little bit about his about his story, how you put together the documentary, um, his interaction with your life. Just break that down, and I'll and I'll be sure to link it in the show notes for men to watch because it really highlights a lot of things that we're talking about. So we made that documentary as in hopes of if there is somebody that doesn't understand what's going on with the system, John's case had elements of a little bit of everything from CPS, child support, false allegations, you name it. Uh, When I very first started Dad Talk and after I went to the first CPAC, I got really sick afterwards. I ran a a low-grade fever for like a month and I was down and out. Uh, That was the first time I heard from John. He wrote me just to tell me to keep my head high, that he appreciated what I've been doing. And uh, that he cared about me and everything, which is was way different because a lot of times when I hear from these guys, it's about their personal cases. And I, I, I need to tell you about sure. this. He was reaching out just to check on me. And I was like, OK, this is a this is a different kind of guy right here. He seemed really nice. Um, and Thanksgiving of 2020, I did an episode on Dad Talk um, where fathers could come on and speak about their case without having to worry about it being used in court. That's the hardest thing. People want to come on and they want to tell their stories. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very reluctant because there's been times where we've had guests on. Next thing you know, they go to court and you're seeing dad talk up there. Anything mm-hmm. you say and or do will be used against you. And you mm-hmm. can believe they're going to twist your words in it. So 100%. when I did this with John, I told him, I said, I'm not going to bring you on screen. We're not going to say your full name. We're not going to say your ex's name. We're not going to say your kid's name. But you'll be free to talk about this. Let people know what that's like, because at the holidays is where we see a lot of these false allegations starting to take place when it's time to pick up my kids for Thanksgiving break or Christmas break on the day that I'm supposed to go get my kids. He molested his kids or he beat me or he did something. And what happens because it's the holidays, most of the offices are shut down. The courts are shut down. So there's there's no relief until after the holiday is already over. And by that time, they've succeeded because they got false allegations in there and there's no consequence for them making that. Um, But anyway, so so John came on, he told us about his story. He had been going through a family court battle for about three years at that point in time. He was married for around, I think it was eight years. 
um, never had any problems. And then one night um, they was at a restaurant and his ex-wife or his wife at the time yeah. claimed that he beat her um, at the restaurant. Well, this is out in the middle of nowhere. I think at this point in time, it was in North Dakota. I went out there. There's barely any gas stations. So I'm guessing right. she thought there wasn't going to be any alibis. They actually had a camera in there. So mm -hmm. John immediately went and got the footage to show the judge, look, I didn't do any of the things that she said I did. Uh, she put a TPO on him right after that, which kept him completely away from her, com completely away from the kids. A TPO, uh, temporary restraining order or? Okay. Yep, restraining order. Um, uh, the incident happened in October. They went to court in December and he gave the tape to the judge and the judge said that they didn't have anything to play it with. So they wasn't allowing it in the court. Well, what? Yep. Yeah. You, what do you can't mean, allow evidence people? inside a court. All right. <sighs> so John felt like the debt was stacked against him and they give you those plea deals. You know, if you'll just go ahead and plead guilty, you'll get off a little bit easier. So he pleaded guilty to this. Um, in January, the oh. following month after she had made these accusations, he said, I'm done with her. I'm getting a divorce. So he files for divorce. One month later, in February, she puts out an allegation that he sexually molested the children. And that's where this really started. So this goes on like a three-year custody battle. CPS is involved. Um, John was completely exonerated of this. He proved that it wasn't true. When, you know, the first one was in civil court, when he goes to the family court, the judge said, I want to see that video. He had a different judge. They mm -hmm. watched that video and he said he didn't do any of the things that he was accused of. And frankly, after watching this video, it brings into question everything else that you said. Mm -hmm. So John started gaining a little ground. He went and did several different tests. And at the point he came on the show, the next month he was going to find out when he was going to get his kids because he had been completely exonerated and won. So when we ended the show that day, it looked like things was actually on the, you know, the upswing for John. Uh, it was just two short months later. I woke up early in the morning to go use the bathroom and I always check my phone in between because you never know what somebody might be going through and I want to yeah. catch it. It can be time critical. A lot of these guys, I mean, there's bad situations, but I had a message from John's sister, Betty, mm -hmm. and told me that John had been shot and killed um, the night before. And man... That was, you know, you know what you're doing is helping people, but sometimes you don't really get to see the effect of it. And now being told somebody I had just interviewed and I've been talking to had been murdered. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was devastating. It really was devastating. Um, when he showed up to the parking lot to get his kids and the only, keep in mind, the only person that knew that John was going to be there was his ex-wife. Mm -hmm. He sees her car pulling up in the parking lot. So he thinks it's her. He turns around to get everything ready. And then when he turns back around, it was his ex-father-in-law who was standing there and shot him three times. Uh, now, the family said it wasn't even 10 minutes later. I said 10 minutes later in the documentary. But um, the ex-wife comes pulling up in the car with the kids and they see their dad dead on the ground. What? It, yeah. Yeah. It was one of those like. Where is justice going to be? And I knew from that point on. That because John had been accused of that false allegation, that they was going to try to make this father-in-law look like a hero. Because that's what they do. You know, when I first started dad talking and these guys would come to me telling me they had uh, a false uh, sexual abuse claim or domestic violence claim. I'm not going to lie to you, Will. I tried my best to find a way to get out of the conversation. It's we are against domestic violence. 
We are against those type of acts and I will never be caught taking up for somebody that's actually done those things. I don't think there is no punishment that can justify those type of actions. Yeah. But I started seeing how much that is used inside a family court because it automatically gives the accusee the upper hand. They can be one of the worst human beings, but the second I say you did this, um, they're going to believe me and you're going to be on the defense. And even if you can prove your innocence, like John did, you're going to have that stigma on you because mm-hmm. society just looks at you as this molester or this, this, you know, this guy that beats people. Um, so I knew right away, if we don't get on this, they're going to paint him in the media as a hero. And it had already started. I started seeing some of the comments. I instantly reached out to all of the media in that area and said, there's another side of this story, please, before you uh, present this, go back and watch this. And if you need any help, let me know. And I got to say, this is one time I'm very critical of the media. They did a dang good job when it came to John's story. Good. And I reached out to his family and said, I want to shoot a documentary because people need to know how this went down. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we had three days to prepare. We went up to Washington State and drove over to Idaho and Montana, North Dakota, and filmed with the family around the funeral and, you know, got the story together. And it's just crazy, man. I mean, even before this happened, John John's case went down to North Dakota. But at one point in time, he was going to get custody of his kids. This was in North Dakota after they proved that she had lied. Well, once John went to get custody, she fled North Dakota and went to Idaho because she went across state lines. He's got to start the process all over. So here is a guy that's driving like 14, 15 hours one way just to come and see his kids for a few hours. Then got to drive 14, 15 hours back. When you see what type of person John was and the things Mm -hmm. that he did just goes to show you, you you couldn't have made this against a more – unbelievable person. I mean, he, he was yeah. an amazing father, yeah. um, took psychosexual assessment tests, which tests for pedophilia and everything. They said, not only did he pass, it was one of the lowest scores they'd ever seen. Uh, mm-hmm. he was raised Amish. He was raised <laughs> Amish and he had only been go. out of the, like the Amish community for like 10 years. It was just a very well put together, loving family. And, uh, it's a shame what's, what's happened. I mean, that happened, uh, back in February of last year, we're still waiting to see a trial on this thing. There are unbelievable tragedy. And there are so many, there's so many points, you know, I think in our hearts as human beings, we all have a, have a longing for justice and uh, to, to, to hear that story and to hear the number of places where justice absolutely failed, even going back to, you know, she made like his, his ex-wife, made an allegation of abuse against him and he had a recording and how a judge can get off with saying like, we're not going to admit it in court because we don't have anything to play it with. Like, what do you need? Do you need a VCR? I'll go buy one. You need a DVD player. Here's a laptop. Like, like how I, 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 that point just at the beginning of the story is incomprehensible to me. How, lightning doesn't just strike that in court entire courtroom or why any judge would make any kind of like, I can't even, I can't even come up and like, if I try as hard as I can with a good reason for that, other than just like the judge is a lazy piece of shit. That's the best reason I can. I don't understand. Was there ever any reason given for that? Because that can't even be legal to say, yeah, no, we don't have the ability to play it. So we're not going to admit it. Like how I, what? I'm <laughs> told by even- the family. He said in court, we do not have an apparatus to play this. So we're not allowing it in there. 
And, you know, as much as I talk about the consequences for false allegations when it comes to the other parent, where's the consequences for the judges? I mean, that was a decision that completely changed the whole direction of this person's life. And you got it wrong. And look, he pled guilty. He pled guilty, even though he was innocent. And it makes you think how many other fathers have done something like this just because they know that there is a lesser sentence here. If I just go ahead and say I did it, even though I didn't. Um, I think it happens every single day and it's, it is, it is a travesty of justice, man. I mean, um, that's one of the reasons that the legislation with 50, 50 gets blocked so much as they, they claim that the judge won't have that discretion anymore. Yes, they will. They actually mm-hmm. got whatever discretion, um, they need. Um, but these, uh, keep in mind, Will, these are the people that the legislators are telling me that we need to go educate. We need to go educate these people as to what's going on. They know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that particular instance, I mean, it just burns me up. Um, mm-hmm. There's no justice, man. Now, John's father-in-law, like, did John's father-in-law murder him because he thought that John had actually, like, molested the kids? Like, what was the what was his motive in that moment? Because murder is pretty significant. <laughs> like, regardless of whether you think it's justified or not they're probably going to catch you like means motive and opportunity. Like if John mass was even half the man that you describe him as, and he's found dead in a parking lot, like there's, they're not going to have a whole lot. And he was scheduled to be there to pick up kids. Like there's, there's only so many people they're going to talk to and they're ultimately going to find John mass father-in-law. So why did this guy even think about doing that? What was the reasoning in his mind? Do we even know? When we talking about parental alienation and one uh, parent brainwashing a child to not want anything to do with the other parent, they won't just brainwash the kids. They'll brainwash everybody. And okay. I think this is one of those cases that, you know, he had been brainwashed and convinced that this is who John was. Oh. And uh, you know, there's more thoughts I got on that, Will. I got to be honest with you. The, the case is coming up, so I got to okay. somewhat reserve myself. But sure. if you watch the film... I think you'll start putting the pieces of of the puzzle together and hopefully we'll be able to talk more in detail about that sometime soon. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I will link a link to the John mass documentary in the show notes. It's, it's available free on YouTube and I, and I think men really need to watch it. Um, and it gave me a new appreciation for you and your work, having watched it to understand, you know, the, the, the passion and the effort that you put into it, because I know that making a documentary is not a small thing. There's a lot involved with it. It involves a lot of commitment, a lot of time, a lot of money, you know, to make a thing happen with, you know, very, with, with, a documentary doesn't make money until it's done. It is a it is a giant a giant creative hole that that dollars get shoveled into until the thing is done, and it takes a lot of commitment. I and I, I when I when I watched it, I had a lot of I, I gained a new respect. I already had respect, but I gained a new respect for you and your commitment to your work. And we didn't even charge for the documentary That's at right. all. That's right. We haven't made no money. We actually I raised um, some money, and then I put some of my own money towards promoting that film. Because let's be honest, it's not a popular topic. And I know in order to get that out there, if we can get that out there to eyeballs and they see it, we can start breeding new advocates and and bringing that awareness out there. So, um, you know, that was it was it it was a challenge, man. For the first time, we had never made a documentary before. I I definitely learned a lot in that process that if I do Mm -hmm. it next time, it'd be a lot different. But, you know, John. John wanted to raise awareness and he wanted to help change the system and he's not here no more. Um, yeah. We are his voice. Now that documentary was his voice. And, uh, we never know if those kids would have ever heard his side of the story. What's crazy 
about uh, John, you know, I, I showed a little bit in the documentary, the journals that he was writing to his kids. Mm-hmm. When he was on the show with me, um, one of the things I asked him is that Thanksgiving is like, what are some of the things that you do to help keep this off your mind or to let your kids know in that time that you're not seeing them that, hey, I'm thinking about you. He's like, John, are you writing a journal? He's like, I am writing a journal. And he, he told me about this. So when I heard that John had gotten killed, I reached out to the family and said, you need to go look. He's mm-hmm. got letters in there for those kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go back and read those, Will, it's, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's almost like John knew this was going to happen. Uh, he talks about, I love you in this life and in the next. And he talks about him himself almost where he's at now several times when, when speaking to those kids. And mm-hmm. man, you know, the, the scary thing is, is since that documentary, the amount of fathers that reach out saying, I'm the next John Mast. Oh, wow. And you don't know how far along it is and how much yeah. truth there is to it or what. Because I mean, even when John, nobody knew that situation was that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, We've, we've got to get something going for these guys so they can be safe. We're talking about places where somebody's supposed to be picking up their child yeah. and they're getting killed. Um, and I, and a majority, a good majority of these surprisingly are happening at the police stations. The one what? that just happened, uh, like a month ago happened at the police station. Wait, um, so someone killed a father picking up his children at a police station. Oh, several. If you look up uh, murders at custody exchanges, a good majority of these are happening at the police station. So when trying to find some type of solution that's going to help this from happening, like if if it's still happening at the police station, what are we going to do? And let's be honest, if you can keep them from being in contact with each other, if somebody's got that in their heart. um, Yeah. And it, I, I think a lot of this is tied directly back to those family courts, that conflict that's building up, that, you know, us versus you type of mentality. And they, they got to start paying attention to these consequences because there's people losing their lives. I think there was one not long ago where a kid got caught in the middle. Uh, so one of the kids got killed. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you know. Horrible. Well, okay. So let's, let's talk about this then because this is something that even I didn't know um, that if if in child exchanges, custody exchanges, you know, for, for separated or divorced parents, that the, the father is being killed, even at police stations, yep. like that's, I, that's insane. And so I, I guess I want to understand the level of enmity. Like you must, I mean, to kill somebody is significant. To kill the father of your children is even more significant. To kill the father of your children at a police station, knowing, knowing that you're going to be caught. Like I, it's incomprehensible. Like where this is the only word for that is hatred is pure hatred of, of a self-destructive variety yeah. because you've just, you decided that you so want to kill some, you still want to kill the, fa- the husband, sorry, the father, your ex-husband, the father to your kids that you're willing to essentially terminate, you know, anything you're likely to have for the rest of your own life. I don't get, I, I don't get that. Help me understand that. So I wish that I could put the pieces of this puzzle together for you. I'm still trying to put them together myself, but we have okay. seen a pattern here. And this is very concerning to me. Yeah. Uh, there's moms that get killed at custody exchanges too. And usually when she does, she's, she's killed by the dad. Okay. Yes, for sure. So okay, Thank you for clarifying that. It does happen on that side. However, almost every time that we're seeing it where dad gets killed, mom never does it. It's always oh. a boyfriend. A father-in-law, a friend, 
there's somebody else that they have carried through to do this for them. And if you look at it almost every single time, I found a handful where mom actually was the one that did the murder. But that means, you know, if you think of somebody that can have that type of control mentally Mm -hmm. to make somebody want to go kill another person, knowing that they're going to lose their life, they're going to spend their time in jail or whatever, um, just to, to do this and to protect this person. What are they doing to those kids? What, what type of, I don't know, man, it's, it, it definitely is one of those patterns and I'm, I'm trying to find out how to connect all those dots, but I've spoken to several people that uh, are involved at custody exchange centers and uh, in situations like this. And they said, they've seen that same pattern. Um, it's definitely something we need to be mindful of. And it's scary. It really is. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's bad to a degree that I wasn't aware of. I mean, I can understand, you know, sort of persecuting somebody through the legal industrial complex and using institutional power to really, you know, to really, um, to really persecute a man, to persecute your ex-husband, to use your divorce lawyers and the judges and, you know, guilt and shame and, and, and all these different, you know, the Duluth model and, and false accusations. I can understand using, to, using institutional power to persecute your ex-husband and, and, you know, Greg Ellis's story and the respondent, the book, the respondent yep. is a, is a pretty shocking display of, of that being done to, to an innocent man. But I guess also using the idea of using a, a current boyfriend, you know, to, to murder your ex-husband, you know, the father of your kids, that's a, that's a degree of, of, I guess I I hesitate to say it, but savagery that I wouldn't have, that I wouldn't have expected. And that's, that's pretty troubling actually. Well, it makes sense. And I tell you, one of the things that moms do, um, especially like out of divorce that really gets under my skin, but it's, it's so common is uh, once they leave the dad, if they're trying to alienate or whatever, they get in a new relationship and, Mm -hmm. Oh, you're such a good guy. You're, you're loving and taking care of a child that you didn't even uh, help create. They make him feel like he's Superman because you're protecting me. You're taking care of these kids. And I think that uh, the mm. emotions and these pride, these guys got to stop falling for that bull crap. They really do. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that's how, how they get caught in the middle. They make them feel so special for coming in there. You know, I got to put some of this back on other men. That's one of the conversations I've do. been yeah. having um, Let's do it. lately. Okay, so if you get with a woman and she's had previous children with somebody else, don't just take um, that story of he he was a deadbeat or he did this or he did that to me. There's nothing stopping you from going and having a conversation with that man. And if us men did more of that, I think this world would be a better place and we could help each other out because it's not until afterwards. I hear some of these guys like, ah, I was with this woman, you know, she had stepkids, a love like my own. Um, now she's keeping me from my kid. And I asked, well, wh- what about the biological father? Uh, he was dead, but he was never around, never really talked to him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, what is she calling you now? You know, is she saying I'm a deadbeat and I don't want anything to do with my kids? Well, what makes you think she didn't do that to him? Right. You know what I mean? If we started having these conversations and let that pride go, we could protect so many people. We mm-hmm. really could. And uh, don't just fall for that. You're the Superman. You're, you, you know, you're the new dad. You're, you're, you're fulfilling that role that somebody else abandoned because so many people believe that's probably what happened when you got a guy over here that's fighting tooth and nail. Most of us men are sitting in that spot saying, yeah, they did that. They did mm-hmm. that. 
reminds me of the movie Gone Girl, where Ben Affleck is, you know, his his completely psycho wife has left him and made all these other all these accusations that he murdered her. I think in the in the film, and so then he goes and tracks down this woman's like ex boyfriend or something like that, and sort of asks him like what was going on there, and she's like she did the same thing she was practicing on me. She's doing it to you now. It's like makes me think of that scene. It's it's definite red flag. Yeah. You know, it's a definite red flag. And you know what? Going and having that conversation might let you know what you could face in the future. Yeah, um, absolutely. I tell you another one of the red flags I don't think that spoke about as much. If you end up getting with a woman, if you want to know if this could happen to you later on for you guys that are, are wanting to pursue it, uh, if she'll keep you away from your family, she'll keep you away from your kids. You get in that uh, that relationship where they're trying to push you back from your family or creating that gap in there. That's usually somebody wants that ultimate control. They don't want anybody else around you that can have any type of influence that could say, hey, wake up. This is what's going on. And uh, be be mindful of that if you you see that going on early on in a relationship because it happens too often. And uh, that's that's a sign. Let's talk a little bit about uh, parental alienation because you've used that term and that's kind of what you're describing, this notion that, that you know, there won't just be, um, you know, uh, custody for one week at a time or weekends. It's like, it, no, it's complete separation, you know, of the father from the kids, just like you'll never see them again, et cetera. Like just, t- just talk through that because, um, you know, th- that's a really powerful term that has a, creates a very vivid image. Yeah, so parental alienation, there's there's different levels of it. I was talking to Dr. William Burnett uh, not long ago, and he told me actual alienated children, there's about 200,000 of them in the country. But when we, when we break that down, these are people that are completely separated from that other parent, brainwashed, there's no coming back. But then you have the ones that are experiencing what they call alienation tendencies. They're in the process of that alienation taking place. And we're talking about the millions. This is happening to millions of children. Sometimes I think this is involved with mental health, uh, narcissistic personality disorder, uh, um, multiple personality disorder, whatever, you know, where that parent feels threatened with that child having a relationship and and getting away from that control. But I also think there's a part of this, you know, going back to that conflict that's created inside a family court that's creating that alienation as well. Uh, It's where one uh, parent brainwashes the child to not want anything to do with the other parent. It could be for for several reasons could be for personal gain or they're threatened by that relationship. They just, again, they want that control and they don't, they want to just completely erase that other parent. And it's not really about the relationship with the child. I don't think Uh, when when you leave this type of person, they're out to completely assassinate your character and everything about you. If you leave me, you're no longer going to exist. It's very Mm -hmm. dark. It's Mm -hmm. very dark. And, but now parental alienation has become so widely used. They're trying to make it look like this taboo thing or just uh, they're just trying to bring this up in court um, to, you know, get custody of the children. So much, you know, I've been talking about some of these terms, narcissism and other things they are become so widely used that uh, they're just trying to discredit them inside of the courtroom. You know, when I very first started going through my own personal experience, I remember studying up on parental alienation and you start going through it and hitting that checklist. It's like, wow. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a, a conversation that I think needs to be had. Um, some people say that it's not that common. I, I'd say there's some degree of parental alienation going on in almost every single case. I mean, there's there's the the exception out there, but for most of it, I mean, it's it's rampant. Yeah, it's really it's 
you can think about all the downstream effects of of kids being alienated from their parents too. In fact, while you were talking, it was like there's parental alienation in married homes as well, where it's like, you know, parents are or either the parents are fighting or one parent is subtly manipulating the kids against another parent. And, you know, but but to separate the parents out of into two separate homes, the sort of propaganda dialogue that goes on. I know Warren Farrell talks about it in the boy crisis, and he says, you know, look, if you and your wife are gonna get divorced, um, you know, sometimes it happens, you know, here's a way to do it in a way that protects the kids. But there are so many instances where the kids are actually used as weapons against the other parent. And it's, 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 it's incomprehensible. I'm starting to feel myself get a little black pilled with all this, but I don't know what the proper response. And we'll, we'll talk about, you know, what men listening and husbands and fathers can do in a minute. But, you know, as I said at the start, it's really important that we take a look at all this stuff and acknowledge that behind the Disney fantasy of happy, happily ever after, happily ever after isn't you know it's it is a fantasy and that and these are the things that can happen and that are happening in men's lives oh absolutely and, and you talk about the the happily ever after every one of us has problems in our lives i think social media has really started to become a tool um for yes. these people because usually with alienation there's going to be the smear campaign so i can go tell this whole audience of people that probably have no idea what's going on and completely turn them against the other person and recruit other people to follow in. Um, but, you know, again, we, we all have those mistakes. And I think having those conversations uh, is definitely needed. When I was talking about my own personal mistakes, this would be yeah. probably a good place to bring that up. Um, yeah, when, I went, that. when I went through my divorce, um, it was a pretty nasty divorce. Found out another man was involved and she took off. And it was at a time that my knee went out. I was struggling financially. There was a lot of bitter emotions there. There was. Sure. And, you know, I made my mistakes every once in a while when the kids would mention mom or something like that. I'd, I'd mouth off and then later yeah. on be in the bedroom like you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. It's so easy to get caught up in it. But those things have an effect on the kids. You know, luckily I was one of those that went back later and was like, I'm sorry. That was wrong of your daddy. You know, and I, and I tried mm -hmm. to make sure that I was being mindful of my own part of that mess, too. Mm -hmm. But if you get caught up in that, that winner take all scenario and then you've got all those bitter emotions, especially in I mean, situations like I experienced, um, it's the little things that can really um, affect the kid. You know, the, the, the kid didn't ask to be born um, mm -hmm. and we've got to be the parents. They're there. You know, we've got to guide them. We've got to be the example. So I think if more people looked at it that way and then try to get along uh, with that parent, it doesn't have to be a battlefield. Um, generally, you see in most cases where I don't think alienation is involved, a couple of years you know, down the road, you see things start to smooth out and get along mm -hmm. a little bit better. But uh, you get that one parent that's out there and just using that child as a weapon and they're out to get you. And I don't know that it's ever going to end. Mm -hmm. It's so sad that we have to talk about the stuff because... You know, I can imagine, I can imagine a time in human history where, um, in fact, I watched a video on, uh, on Instagram, a reel on Instagram yesterday, where someone just walked up to a random elderly lady on the street and said, talk about your first love. And she's like, oh, I met him. I was in high school and he just walked up to me at a dance and he was so smooth or, or whatever. And, and, uh, oh, we got married and they were married for 64 years, got married in high school, you know, and it was just really wholesome kind of moment. And that doesn't really happen anymore. 
And so I reflected on the difference between that story and where people are at now, where you have parents using children as weapons against each other, you know, using the children's own mind as a battlefield against the other parent out of some bizarre need or want for power. Like I can hear your story and it's like, you were mad, you were frustrated, you know what I mean? And you went back and you apologize. And, you know, we all are, we all are given some amount of grace for the things that we do wrong out of impulse or whatever. But, you know, there's something about it in some cases that are far, it's far more intentional and disregards the well-being of the children and what that must do to the kids growing up and their relationship with their kids growing up it's almost it's almost incomprehensible and when i compare that picture to the way the way things used to be not to look at the past through rose-colored glasses but at least for this one sub- subject you know it's it's hard not to, it's not hard not to long for a simpler time oh I, you know my my grandparents my my grandfather met my grandmother uh, and proposed to her. They got married three days later, and the next day he went off to war mm-hmm. and then came back. They was married for, uh, I think it was 64 years, mm-hmm. like, like the last couple of years talking about. You don't really hear of stuff like that anymore. Right. You really don't. I think divorce has became one of those things that's expected. also think even, you know, kids remaining a virgin and saving themselves for marriage has you know, it's, it's not a popular topic anymore. No. I've been talking. I mean, I can't, you know, it's, it's hard to speak. I mean, I wasn't one of those people that practiced that either, but now looking back at it, it was like, there's a reason those morals and things that we were taught were there. And we definitely need to get those back in. Um, but yeah, simpler times, man. I mean, I think the more that technology comes around, it's definitely playing into every aspect of our life. I mean, not just with this, with the polarization of our nation and everything, it's, uh, it's just further dividing everybody. Mm -hmm. Just right between men and women. I often tell, I tell men today, I say celibacy is the ultimate flex in single men. That if you can, you know, we have our whole culture is talking about sex before marriage, consequence-free sex, and all those different things, and men also validating themselves, you know, through through sexual conquests and and all that stuff. Pornography. I mean, the the the, the pressures are are immense in, in some ways. And I always always tell men like, look, if you're not married, stay celibate. You have to protect yourself in multiple different ways, not just from like STDs and pregnancy, but false accusations. Um, and, and that whole, and that whole mess, you know, and, uh, and it's really difficult to do. And yet somehow people in centuries past, they didn't really struggle with it. Like if you're, if you're really sure you want to sleep with somebody, well, I, I, I was going to say marry them, but this entire conversation says like, no, maybe check first. <laughs> Don't use that as your guiding, but there is something to be said for like, you go through the vetting process before you engage in this, uh, in these acts that will transform your life for good or for ill vet women thoroughly thoroughly like for a very long time and don't get sexually involved with somebody that you're not ready to have a kid with and don't have a kid with someone that you don't fully trust you know with with your life don't stick your dick in crazy as the saying goes yeah well i think many people use sex like a drug nowadays you know because it feels good we get addicted to it and there's nothing wrong but um you know if we look at it i think it's a much more sacred thing uh, that yeah. is a way to connect with your partner. That is the one yeah. thing that you can give your spouse uh, that you want to to spend the rest of your life with something that you didn't give to anybody else. And I think when we just make it that drug or that thing that feels good, that's become accepted, do it, do it, whatever. We've really taken away the value of sex and what it's supposed to mean to a relationship. And I, I believe it again, it plays into the broken households and everything else too. Um mm-hmm. 
it's not a popular topic, but I think it needs to definitely be held more. Men, I'll cut right to it. There's probably something missing from your life and I bet you don't even know. And that is a mission or purpose. A mission is more than a job, a career, or even a vocation or hobby. It's bigger than that. It's a godly pursuit that underlies all your most significant thoughts, words, and actions. If you seek to lead your family, your purpose is the direction you're leading yourself in, and therefore your family undertakes the journey with you. If you're a single man, your purpose is the framework that drives you forward to strength, prosperity, and fulfillment, all things that the right woman is looking for. Either way, your purpose takes you beyond yourself, challenges you to expand your self-concept, confront your fears, acquire new skills, forge durable bonds of friendship and brotherhood, and most importantly, it helps you contribute to the rebuilding of civilization. If that sounds too good to be true, it isn't, because your purpose is a gift. But here's the catch. To receive that gift, you must be ready for it. And that is the nature of my coaching. I'm a man who has been blessed with a purpose, and it's more than just this podcast. I've got something I'm working on behind the scenes that I know you're gonna love. And pursuing that purpose has taught me the secrets of what it takes to cultivate a purpose. Now I want to pass that on to you. And to do that, we have work to do. Email me at info at to start the conversation and schedule a free 30-minute consultation. Mention the code word purpose and I'll offer 10% off a 12-week package. I'll also let you in on my top secret purpose behind the scenes. Once again, email me at info at mention the code PURPOSE to get 10% off a 12-week package. I started the Renaissance of Men to help men become the best versions of themselves through self-knowledge. If that sounds like you or the version of yourself you want to be, email me and let's get started. Men need to hear that it's an option. I, I, I just, celibacy gets ridiculed and painted as some bizarre religious thing that's completely out of step with the times. And, and I don't, and that's not a good way of looking at it, at least not anymore. Like men need to hear like, no, it's, it's actually okay. You won't be judged by other men. Go ahead. Right. Well, I mean, because it's hard, it's hard yeah. to do that. And it's a challenge. Yeah. So I think it's easier to just be like, Oh no, I'm not going to listen to that rather than have to step up to the plate. When you was talking a second ago, um, you know, talking about validating yourself through other people. I was one of those that did that, Will. I mean, after my Same. divorce, okay, I've got to be honest with you. I, I went so long in a relationship, not, you know, feeling like I was getting any attention or getting compliments or anything that I got to a point where I started dressing up and women would pay attention to me. And mm -hmm. once I, you know, get attention from one, I'd go get it from another and another. And that was how I was validating myself. And yep. finally, one day I stopped and looked at it. I was like, dude, you're being toxic. <laughs> you got to, you know, you need to love yourself for you, not because of what somebody else sees of you. That's where real happiness comes yeah. in. And uh, that's why I could never fill that void. And I tried it with drugs and all these different things in my past. You yeah. know, the quicker you can come to that realization, the better. But, um, you know, don't don't seek that validation in other people. I think that's a common mistake a lot of us guys use. It's a huge mistake that I made. I went through I went through many years of my life you know, thinking that some, some amount of conquest, you know, or would, would validate me in the ways that I need. And I look back on all that and I see like, I never found, I never found what I was looking for. And the times when I was most fulfilled in that way were the times that I was in long-term relationships with good sexual connections. Everything else has faded off into the background. It seemed like the, the biggest deal at the time to get it. And I look back and I found, 
I found no, let's say, satisfaction. I found no, no peace in it. And, um, and I think that there's a lot of aspects. We were talking about the men's movement. There's a lot of aspects of the men's movement today that still regards, you know, uh, having sex with lots of women um, as, as somehow in itself a good. And uh, I don't know that you can make that case anymore at all, nor should you. I, I don't agree with that, Will. I got to be honest with you. I've seen it. I've, yeah, I've for seen, sure. um, you know, how to be a player, how to sleep with a thousand different women and different stuff. Yeah. Like that. These are women that are going to be passed on to your sons or your grandsons yeah. or something like that. And we've got to, you know, start realizing if we want it to change, we've got to change ourselves. Um, you know, you go on TikTok right now and every other video is some girl shaking her rear end in the video. And as much as we might be like, oh, man, that's cheap or whatever. It's men that are watching it, encouraging her to do that. Yeah. Right. Um, if we want that culture to change, we've got to change our culture first and do some of these things. You know, talk about the the um, difficulty of doing this. I mean, you want to get it healthier. You want to get, uh, you know, healthier lifestyle, whatever it's going to take, lifting weights, getting out there, exercising, dieting, anything that's worth something in this life is going to take hard work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you talk about that celibacy and everything else, man, I, I think that is somewhere that I wish I would, if I could do anything different, that's something that I definitely would have played into and in making sure that, you know, if we can show that we are willing to do the things in order to change it, that's going to force some of these other cultures to say, hey, we got to step up to the plate. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? We got, we got to meet them somewhere. I don't know what your faith looks like, but, uh, you know, I was baptized Christian in, in September of 2020, and my entire relationship, Oh, literally overnight, in an instant, transformed uh, towards sex and sexuality. Completely transformed. I lost all interest. I lost all interest in any and anything related to sex that I had been that I that that I had had appeal to me before. Premarital sex, pornography, lost all of its appeal. Like literally overnight, you know. And, and that, that, that's that's a story. And like in an instant, like I came up out of the water and I could feel that something was different in me. And then I could, and then that's kind of all proved true. And so I know exactly what you mean. Like if I had, if I had known then what I know now, yeah. I would have approached my life entirely differently. And I've got to say, it's really re reoriented my energies towards uh, so many different things. Like now I'm, I'm, I feel very good in myself. Like, no, I'm, I'm looking for a wife and I wish I had been looking for a wife a lot earlier in my life rather than looking for a, a, like, I'll say a sex, sex partners, you know, something like that, um, or women to sleep with. And I, I can see that if I had been thinking this way about things years earlier, you know, years earlier, I would have found so much more fulfillment. I would have found so much more self-discipline. I would have been building myself up more instead of trying to turn myself or, or trying to turn myself into something that was desirable in this particular way. I could have turned myself into something that was a man of much more integrity far earlier in my life than I have been doing lately. And, and this is why I talk about celibacy. It's not some, it's not some thing that comes down that just because, for example, God says to do it. So we do it because God says so. That's actually not why is that when a man restrains his energy for sexual pursuits and channels them towards productive endeavors, that he sets himself up for a far more successful life. And when men hear about celibacy, they only hear about it as this outdated commandment that they're supposed to follow without understanding that there was a reason why men did it. It wasn't arbitrary. Oh, I, I agree with you 100%, man. I, you know, that was a struggle for me, though. I mean, that was probably one of the hardest things. I know everybody's got their hangups. Um, you know, on the other side of that, I think one of the reasons I rushed right back into a relationship out of my divorce is because I wanted that traditional home. I wanted a woman in the home and doing the mom and dad thing and 
helping, um, you know, just, just having that happy home yeah. and trying to rush that in, and not being mindful and taking some of the steps that we've been discussing today is how I kind of ended up in that situation. But I, man, I, I, I struggle with that. Sex is one of those things, you know, and once you've had it and you know yep. what it, you know what it feels like and everything, we, we kind of crave it. It's that natural instinct. It's that natural desire. So making sure that we have that willpower, you know, to have enough respect for ourselves to say, yes. you know, I know what this means. If I hold back, I know why I'm doing it, man. Yeah. Hitting the nail on the head. If I knew then what I know now, mm-hmm. you know, beat myself we also up need- for that every day. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I, it's something that I've been sitting with a lot lately too, looking back on those phases of my life and being like, Hey, I got so lucky that lots of things could have gone way different than they did and, and they didn't. And so I'm grateful to be here, but also, you know, also recognizing that, um, I was chasing fulfillment and happiness in places where it was nowhere to be found. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't, and I lived in San Francisco as well. And so in San Francisco has a very free and liberal culture related to, you know, sexuality and sex before marriage and, and even like marriage itself, I guess you might say. So I didn't really have much instinct in me or any external feedback from my environment saying that anything that I was interested in was bad. In fact, I was told that everything that I was interested in was good. Like, yeah, go, you know, you know, Tinder, go crazy, have fun. Like this is how you're, how it's supposed to be. And I look back and I see how mistaken how mistaken I was. And, uh, and, 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 but what really helps me now is I have a community of men and brothers around me, um, who, who all share my values and uh, we all share the same values. And I have fathers around me who've been disciplined fathers and, and have lived, lived good lives. And that's a real reminder that I think more men need of like, yes, you're going to pay a cost to pursue this way of living, but it has a benefit if you just have the patience to stick with it until you see the benefit and then the benefit will be amazing like anything else. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and that was one of the things that when, you know, we was at the 21 convention, that was good for me to see because I'm, I'm mostly kind of in that corner with fathers that have been through the system. But yeah. I got to talk to a lot of those men that are mindful and that are taking those steps that aren't fathers yet that said, you know, I want to be, want to have a committed relationship, but I want to make sure I'm doing it the right way. I'm looking for the right thing. Yeah, that needs to be shown more. That actually gave me a lot of faith. Because I had never seen a group of men actually all kind of cohesively talking that message. And I think the more that they see us do that, the more we can nurture that type of thinking. Mm-hmm. Especially, uh, I think, you know, in reaching out to our boys too, making it mindful. Um, the society, again, is always taught um, everybody how she needs to be treated. We need to make sure we're letting him know how he needs to be treated, but also the things that he needs to do, make sure he doesn't fall into that. That's right. Yeah, man. And how he needs to treat himself. And I think that's, you know, there's a lot of very good discussions. Here's, here's how you need to treat a woman, which I think is great and which I think is what we need. But what, but, but there's two things that don't come back, which is like, A, how you should expect to be treated by a woman, you know, and that's usually framed, oh, what do you expect her to wait on you and be a servant? It's like, no, it's possible to be loved and cared for by a woman and not have it be servitude. Like, why does it go from like total dismissal to, you know, to total servitude? Like where's the gray area of actually being loved and treasured and cared for? And so that's a big component of it. But also men knowing how to take care of themselves. Like that's the hardest thing that I think we've lost this notion that men aren't predisposed to take care of themselves anyway. Like without, without women, we'd all just be living in caves and we'd be fine. You know, like a bachelor apartment is is the, is the strongest testimony. Like guys don't really need a whole lot, 
But in some levels, we kind of do. It's just we're not really taught how to take care of ourselves appropriately. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't need that. Well, you do. And you also don't need to spoil yourself either. So there's this re-education around like how do we properly take care of ourselves for the long term? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, even just talking about some of this and, you know, getting to hear some more on the manosphere side of things makes me want to be a better person because I still have my places where I'd like to improve. And uh, this, this should be an exciting thing when you see stuff like this, realizing, hey, you know, here, here's a moment for growth that we can all come in here and uh, nurture that together. But there, yeah, I mean, you're right there that that narrative that she is um, the home taker and just there to serve the man. They have done a really good job at painting that picture to make yeah. women not want to be um, in that role anymore. Um, that that role of the mom at home. You know, I think it shows now more than ever that we need some more of those type of parents back in the household, especially with what's going on in our education system, the indoctrination mm-hmm. that's going on. I've, I've felt a little guilty here recently sending my kids to public school because I'm starting mm-hmm. to see what's what's being taught. We need that traditional family back in there and our kids need to learn from the parents um, because there's so much that's being pushed on them from these outside sources, man. That's unbelievable. Well, let's talk about the younger generation. I know that you get a lot of men like John Mast messaging you and and looking to you for support and, and dad talk today as your your podcast and your YouTube channel. And and that's a specific generation of specific generation of men who are fathers. Do you have a lot of contact with men who are going to be fathers or want to be fathers? Like how much do you interact with them? And and if, if so, like what are they what are they saying to you? No. Well, generally when I do but it's it's in a specific area. I mean, even last night, it was a father that's uh, about to become a father, and he's got an ex mm-hmm. that doesn't want him at the hospital, not wanting him to sign the oh. birth certificate and stuff like that, which is a huge, huge topic. Um, but I, you know, and I've had a few kids that have reached out. It was like, you're one of my favorite shows. I'm like, really? Because wow. it's one of those that, you know, the majority of our audience are people that have been through it, so they understand it. Sure. Um, and I think having more of those conversations, which I really need to do um, of not getting into it in the first place. And, you know, kind of some of the stuff that we're talking about right here, right now. Um, it's just so hard to kind of touch on every one of those topics when there's just so much going on, especially like with the, with the divorce industry, man, then it's just a rabbit hole that we could go down all day long and uh, mm-hmm. trying to address it. But um, for the most part, that's where I'm, I'm hearing from fathers that are not being allowed to show up um, for the for the birth or not being allowed to sign the birth certificate. And there's there's a lot of issues that are tied along with that, because if he doesn't get to um, sign the birth certificate and they can mm-hmm. name another man as the dad, they can adopt the child out. And we've seen it where you know dads can't get um, custody back after situations like that have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about your dad talk today, kind of a empire, if you want to call it that. And you know, I know that you mentioned you have the podcast and 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 you have the YouTube channel, and that you've you've had some presence in the in the political world. You offer other services for men, like because I see you like men who who are brave enough to stand up and shine a light on this subject. Like when you stand up and hold a light in the darkness, people start walking towards you. So talk about some of the things that you do through the whole dad talk dad talk world that you've created i think that's kind of an accurate portrayal because that's what happened i think a lot of men want to get involved they don't know how to get involved and when they see somebody doing it they're like hey you know we want to get involved in this we we want to come over here this whole thing happened 
kind of as, you know, I, I don't even know how it came together. This was never something I set out to do. Um, mm-hmm. And there is days, I'm not going to lie to you, Will, even when we're in the legislative arena or we're out there doing our advocacy work, that I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But I get out there and do it and I learn through the mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we are really, I feel like, giving birth to a new movement when it comes to this dad's rights you know, thing. And we're seeing some victories. We, I Good. mean, Arkansas just passed 50-50 legislation to get dad on equal footing as mom out of divorce. Uh, Kentucky's got it. Arizona's got it. There's several other states, Texas, Florida, Ohio, that are on the tipping point. That looks like it might go through. But um, just trying to find out day to day, like, where can I go, you know, and offer help? I don't do anything one on one. I'm not an attorney. I'm not an expert. I'm just another dad that went through the system Mm -hmm. and refused to be quiet about it. I didn't Mm -hmm. have the money to fight this fight in the system. So I got out here and used my voice to fight against the system. Um, Mm -hmm. And I want to see it change. I don't want to just become another statistic. I mean, my. My case is still yet to go. And, um, you know, I just know what it's like being one of these men. I'll be honest with you, you know, he's he's talking about religion and stuff. There was moments like, you know, when when my my wife had left, I'm in a wheelchair (laughs) because my knee's out. Um, Somebody stole every dollar out of my banking account. I got it back later, but it was just one of those moments. Everything was hitting at one time. And uh, I was at my lowest. If it had not been for my kids, I would have, I would have gave up. I see why so many fathers do. They were the only reason that I put my feet on the floor every day and got up and went to work was so that I could take care of them. But there was some of those just dark moments where I'm like, God, why am I here? Like, what mm-hmm. you really brought me here for this? And I had a hatred towards them. I really did. Mm-hmm. It's like, are you? I mean, you really brought me here for this. This is this is why I existed. So I would go through these, like, you know. And there's no will to live except for wanting to be there for my kids. But, you know, I started doing this with dad talk and, and it was just one of those things that just kind of happened. And there's those moments where these fathers reach out to me and they're going through some of these situations where they're just broken and feeling down. And, and, and in that same mindset that I look up and I'm like, I get it now. Hmm. I get it now. That pain was for a purpose. Um, and that's that's what I want to use it to do. So even though sometimes I feel like I'm out here in the dark a little bit, like where do we go to? You know, how do we address it now? I know it's for that greater purpose and we got to continue moving forward. Um, you know, the show was just something that I used to get people to the table before we got, um, you know, got here and was doing this. You didn't really see many politicians and celebrities and different people um, speaking on the issues. And one of the reasons that I do that, I feel over the years, um, we've been kind of in our own echo chamber. You know, the people that's here, that's watching your show, that's watching my show. We know about the issues. We've got to reach the people out there. So mm-hmm. If I can get that person on that's known from whatever show or whatever sport they are, what band, and people tune in to listen to them, and we've got them talking about that conversation, we can breed, breed some more advocates. So, you know, I think my biggest thing is trying to fight back at the culture and get that promotion and just bringing dads back against that negative light that they've mm-hmm. been presented at. Because I think in order to get change, that's got to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. You can go pass legislation across this country right now on protecting his rights. But if he's still looked at as that deadbeat um, that doesn't want to pay child support, the angry man, these problems are going to continue to exist. So that's where um, I think we are trying to have the most effect and uh, where we're trying to attack it from. So I want to talk about some of the celebrities and some of the individuals you've talked to, but I'm, I'm 
first I'm curious, like what that's like, what that's been like for you to go from this place of sort of being, sort of being at the bottom. Like you said, you're in a wheelchair, your bank account's been emptied, your wife has taken your kids from you and things are getting real ugly in your personal life and sort of looking up and being like, why God, what, you know, what is going on? And then now you've sort of, now you found yourself in a, in a real position of leadership, not like a leader, like you are a leader. And that, that pain was in a way used to, um, lift you up, let's say. Um, what's what's that been like for you personally to be on that journey over the past? It's just been like three years, you said. Yeah. I, you know, um, I, I try to never refer to myself as a leader. I'm just another one of these guys. I want to be marching beside them when we go yeah. when we go to war. You know what I mean? And I think one of the things that I've seen is a lot of guys are waiting for that Superman to come along and, <laughs> and to fix all these problems. Right. Part of our problem. We need more soldiers in here. We don't need it. You know, there can be a general or whatever. I don't care who it is, but let's all get in there and help fight with them. But that was um, that was hard because in order to really stand out, I think you've got to be misunderstood. And um, I think people misunderstand, especially me, a lot. You know, when going after the celebrities and different stuff, they think, oh, you're wanting to be famous or you're wanting to make money and stuff. And it's like, guys, no. I'll give it to the first CPAC. Um, I was thinking about this you know, like a week ago. We go in this political arena where nobody's talking about our issues. And yeah. our job is to get these issues presented. Well, how do you do that? Um, we had to do something to stand out. Um, it's no different on social media. You're in the yeah. age of TikTok where you get the 15 second videos. And if you don't get their attention quick, they're going to be flipping. So you constantly got to be like, look what we're doing, bringing new people on and, and keeping that exciting, fresh new outlook on it. And I think that's where the promotion comes in. But it's it's a lonely road sometimes because um, mm-hmm. people don't understand the strategy behind it. There's a, there's a strategy behind everything we do. And I mean, even carrying the podcast, you know, I got a family here too and trying to keep the lights and stuff on. People think that there was people in the community uh, you know, like three months ago claiming I made $80,000 in the month of October. Will, <laughs> no, I yeah. lost money. I mean, it was like last month I had a hundred dollars left in my banking account. And then I've wow. got no shortage of messages, Eric, we need you at this capital and we need you here. We need you doing this. And so you're looked at as a leader that can um, do this. And while I'm, I'm, I'm flattered that people think that I can do that at the same time, I'm, I'm over here trying to make it work too. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's like, instead of requesting me or thinking that of me, let me teach you so you can do it. Mm-hmm. I'm no different than any of those guys out there. There is nothing special. I've just put my time into it. And I, th- I think anybody can pull off whatever they want as long as they put their time into it. And uh, I'd like to see more of the guys get involved in this advocacy work, man, because we need them. We mm-hmm. need them. I mean, when when we do something about fathers and five or 10 people are showing up, what does that say about the importance of our movement? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I haven't personally put on any of those rallies cause I don't want to see that happening, but it, a lot of people do it all, all the time. Um, yeah. I think there, there's gotta be something that's going to happen where we're going to see these guys that are going to show up in the thousands. And I believe it's coming it really mm-hmm. is coming. But uh, just continuing to foster that community, I'd like to do some classes where we teach people um, like how to contact their legislators and, and stuff like that. That's a huge thing because a lot of people, they can't see beyond their personal case. So mm-hmm. it comes to trying to change the law because listen to what I've been through. Well, nobody's going to change the law because of your story. So we got to get beyond your personal story here. What we're trying to do affects millions, millions of parents, millions of children. 
And, uh, but you know, I'm still trying to adjust. There's, there's days that I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I ain't gonna lie to you, man. Sitting there listening to what people are going through. And then after John, there were several other people that got murdered and then people are reaching out and it's like, I want to help, but there's so much going against us. Um, it can, it can really almost be like a cancer of the mind sometimes because you see how bad things are and you want it to change and you feel like you just don't have the tools that you need in order to do it. So it's a struggle and just being able, I mean, I'm going to lie to you. I don't talk about this much, but even being able to just talk to you about this, um, and not keep it behind the scenes right now, it's kind of a huge thing. And, um, wanting people to realize just how much of a struggle we we've got to get this message out there. Um, yeah. I don't want to be the person on the screen. Right. I don't. Yeah. I have no desire, but if I'm going to be there, we got to do what we've got to do in order to get attention and get the spotlight on it, because it's just one of those that they're not putting it on. So you've got to be you know, over the top, getting it out there, making sure you're hitting it from all the different angles and we're doing our best brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're doing a great job, and I think the there's something to being the reluctant warrior. It's like, okay, God, you're you're choosing me to do this. Okay, I, you know, this isn't this isn't anything I would have chosen for myself or that I would have imagined for myself. Like when I started my podcast, like the notion that I would the notion that I would start a podcast, let's say two years ago, would be insane. Like I hated the sound of my own voice, but you know, and, and it was like I just it's like I couldn't even listen to my own. I never I would never even record my own voicemail from my telephone just because it would make me listen back to it. So it's like, but I knew that like the only way that I could try to tell the story that I wanted to about what's going on in this men's movement was through doing a podcast and talking to all these different men. And then it's like, okay, okay, Lord, you're calling me to, to do a podcast. I will. And it's like, oh, well now suddenly it all, it all makes sense. You know what I mean? There's something kind of like going into the battle, like, well, if this is what I'm being called to do, I guess I'm, I guess in some sense, I'm the right guy for the job, even though I don't recognize it but I never take that for granted, you know, cause you can feel the shift. Right. Yeah. And so you can see that in you that it's like, I never thought this would be me, but I'm doing it and I'm doing it as best I can. Right. That's it. And I, I can relate as well as laughing a little bit. I remember <laughs> the, the very first podcast that I did. Um, I was scared to death, man. I have Same. social anxiety. <laughs> I have. So I, I do okay in the political arena. I don't know where the difference is. I get around the legislators and I know I got a mission. I can get out yeah. there. I can network. I can do, would you put me in a small room of people or something like that? Dude, I just freeze up. I, I don't like it. And it's not that I don't like people. It's just, it's, it's not my thing. And the first time I did that first podcast and saw myself, I was like, what are you doing? I was like, this, is, <laughs> this is horrible. I can promote, yeah. I could do the behind the scenes, but when it came to the on screen stuff, I'm very hard on myself. And, yeah. uh, I've got that thick, you know, Southern accent that people pick at all the time or, uh, you're uploading great. the video and it, it gets you on that one frame where you just look retarded. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, they're going to kill me with this, but that's what yeah. it takes, man. I mean, you know, getting out there, there's probably so many of these other guys that want to come and do something like we're doing right now. They just need a little encouragement. It's okay to be afraid. Uh, because I mean, I think that's what helps you um, make sure that you're giving it your all. And, uh, that passion, man, that's, that's what this is about. You know, that, that, mm-hmm. that, that's a great thing to know when you've got that, that passion and that mission in mind and, and you're trying to create a better place um, for, for people. This, this life is so temporary. What can we, what do we see as problems now that we can change? So when our kids are the ones that are left behind, they're living in a better place. 
And that's, mm-hmm. that's what it's about. So if it takes you getting on the screen, uh, you're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to make mistakes, but that's yeah. part of the process, man. I mean, that's the beautiful part about it. We all make mistakes. We all, um, get nervous about things, but that that's where you learn. Yeah. And it's so important to make a start. Like if you, like for anyone listening, if you go back and you listen to the, the first poetry <laughs> podcast I did, cause I do, a, I, well, I, I'm way behind on it, but I did have done a series called poetry for men and where I read and interpret a poem. And it's just me talking to the, talking to the microphone. And so the first episode that I recorded before my first interview, which was with Tanner Guzzi, I recorded that poetry episode and it was like on a Saturday night and I had to like force myself. I knew it was the last chance I'd have to do the podcast before because I was going to, I was going to be traveling the week after. It's like, I needed to come out this week. So I had to force myself to sit down in front of the microphone and do it. And you can actually hear it in my voice. Like, what, what is this microphone thing? How do I, what, how do I, where do I put my face in relation to it? And it's like, but you know what? You just got to start is really what it comes down to. And you have to keep doing it yep. because you did, but you have like tens of thousands of subscribers on dad talk today. And you've got a, you know, tens of thousands of followers on Instagram and you didn't start that way. You just kept with it, you know, and by keeping with it, you get better at it to get more confident, but they're always looking at the next level without ever looking back and being like, Oh wow, I've really improved from that early stage or, or even the intermediate stages. Oh yeah. I look back on some of those older episodes and I mean, even in my interviewing style, I realize, you know, I would have done that so much different. Um sure. but you know, it is it is impressive to see what can be built if you just stay with it. I mean, I think a lot of what it takes in order to be doing this, um, you know, of course it's gotta be quality that you're creating, but it's yeah, just gotta be consistent. Yep. That's what they're looking for is consistency and, and staying in there and keeping that message going. Um, you know, sometimes that's not the easiest thing when you're trying to do advocacy work and going to capitals and the conferences and trying to keep content in between. That's been one of our big struggles because without that consistency, the, the platform doesn't grow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My, my, my new thing, I mean, not, not to change the subject, Will, that, that, that scares me is um, I believe that the more this starts to come to prominence, um, the censorship is going to, it's coming. Um, yeah. I think that this is going to be one of those messages that's, messages that's going to be politically incorrect. And we're going to be one of those targets for the fact checkers and everything else. And it's, it's mm-hmm. really going to put the thumb down on us. So um, making sure that we're building the platforms wherever we can and in places that this message is not going to be censored. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a bit about that because I know of I know that uh, Warren, Dr. Warren Farrell, was recently on Andrew Yang's podcast. Senator Josh Hawley, I know, and I think, uh, yeah, I think Andrew Yang's still a senator. He's a Democrat, or maybe he's an independent, um, but definitely left leaning. And then there's Senator Josh Hawley had a had a piece in the New York Times a number of a weeks ago about the crisis with men. So on one side, I know that this is something that Candace Owens has talked about as well. It seems like there's a burgeoning public conversation that's going on about it that's out there in the world, and yet there's still this feeling of like, well, how is how is the public conversation going to mesh? Given that they only allow certain things in the dialogue with the truths that we know behind the scenes, like how much overlap is there going to be? How much is going to be excluded? You know, how much is going to be allowed to continue just to siphon off some of the energy without addressing the real truths that are going on behind the scenes. I think that'll be a really interesting moment when, when these two forces collide. You know, and well, I'll keep their names out of it because because they were trying to do a good thing, but I know some of those legislators, um, very well-known legislators that were starting to speak out against these issues, which they said the party came back to them and said, Hey, what are you doing? You're going to alienate mm-hmm. yourself from the feminist base. 
yeah. and you're going to, you know, you're going to get the the wrong message out there and people aren't going to want to support. And this was on the democratic yeah. side. So they canceled out people that were becoming a voice behind this, that sees um, what's going on. Um, I think that's what it's going to come down to. You see the polarization, it's just going to get worse in men's issues or, um, Unfortunately, it's not what gets the funding and it's not what gets the popularity and the, the sympathy. So um, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to find allies. There's more and more that's stepping up, though, you know, as much as when it comes to like the, the fatherless issue and men's issues. Most of the time that we are, um, you know, this is a, it's kind of a, a trend that I'm seeing. I want to make people aware of most of the mm-hmm. time that we are accepted in the conservative realm. OK, sure. That's where this is more of a conversation. I will say a lot of our pushback mm-hmm. come from conservative women. Well, I believe that. Okay. Conservative mm-hmm. women push back. However, I've seen a lot of support and this is why you got to be open to make sure we're talking to all sides and getting that discussion going. African-American uh, Democrat women that are in office are some of our biggest support because they've seen the destruction in that side of the community. Mm-hmm. So being mindful that, you know, even though there's polarization there and there's there's certain places where they got to stand on a certain side of the aisle, um, there's people that do believe in this. And even if that message gets censored, we, we're going to have to come up with new ways of making sure that we're coming together. It all goes back to whether it's the father's movement, the men's movement. We've got to come together and be here and support each other so our voices can get loud. Um, mm-hmm. That's the moment that I think we're all kind of waiting on. Yeah. Warren Farrell talks about how he uh, was heading up the a proposal for the White House Council for Men and Boys, and they pitched it to the Trump administration. And I, I think he said a couple different times, and of course, the Biden administration has not been receptive to it at all, but the Trump administration was at least willing to hear them out. But they ultimately decided to pass on making it. And I recall, I don't know this, I don't think this came from Trump himself, but I think it came from some of his advisors, whoever they were talking to. They said that we really like the idea but if we propose a council for men for um, for men and boys, you're going to alienate the single the single mother base, something along those lines. It's like, well, what does this have to do with that at all? Like, why? What you know? And to your to your point, it's like it's going to upset the wrong people if we start talking about men's issues. <clears throat> that was so disheartening to see to hear that because again, you would think that conservatives, America first principles, values would acknowledge the value of men, fathers, masculinity. And that, and that, that even at that highest, highest level, that the the notion of single motherhood, you know, which is all created by the divorce industry, which is all created by no fault divorce in many cases, and going all the way back to everything we're talking about, even has a control over the halls of politics at that level. Like I can understand not wanting to engage in the battle at that level. Like we have so much else going on, we don't want to pick that fight. But at some point, you're gonna just gotta, you know, you're just gonna have to stand up and be like, you know what? send it right well it's called politics for a reason right i mean the game (laughs) that they have to play and as much as you know that you got to stand up for it i mean when when trump got in office he was racist misogynistic you know the whole nine yards and now i'm making a council for boys yeah you know i I see why they have to be careful because it's you got to play that political game and I, i don't agree with it one bit whatsoever you know i think it was the biden administration that was creating the gender council now um, right. it's, um, women, gay and trans. That's your gender, gender council, men. Amazing. Somebody had to press the question, but it was like, uh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Men, men, men would be in it too. 
It's like, oh, it's, we were your afterthought, right? You had no yeah. plans. And even if they do, they say that the same thing with the Violence Against Women's Act. Um, you know, oh, this protects men too. No. We, we no. know what it does. We know right. what it does. Um, but, you know, there's, there's def- different allies that are there. But when I talk about the movement coming together, again, we don't really have the money to get out here and sponsor some of these guys, but we do have a lot of people that are affected by it. And mm-hmm. if we do find these people that support us and we'll get out there and fight behind these issues, we've got to be prepared to fight for them. Yeah. So I know you might not like politics, but if you got people and you're, you're wanting solutions and they start fighting for it and then we don't support, you're going to see that support start to go somewhere else. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it happen. I've seen there become some very strong voices in, in this and uh, they want to see us. They want to see us together in numbers and making sure it gets out there because some of these guys take shots for representing us. They really yeah. do. And, and it's mm-hmm. probably going to get worse. We got to be prepared to, to get out there and, and raise our voices for them. Yeah, we got to show up for them. So talk about some of the some of the celebrities, band members, politicians, public figures that you've you've spoken to. I've looked through your, your YouTube and found a number of names that have been really cool to see. Like, oh, wow, these guys know this. OK, great. It's really promising. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, you name it. Ted Nugent was on the show not long ago. I've had Richard Fortas from Guns N' Roses, uh, Tito Ortiz, I've had a ton of the MMA fighters, Matt Hughes, uh, which a lot of those guys, they've been through this, too. Uh, you're talking to some about some of the baddest men on the planet. And when they start talking about their families and what they're going through, you know, you, you see where that hurt is. Um, Dr. Ben Carson, um, Mike Lindell, you name it. And that that gets a lot of flack, too. Well, I ain't going to lie to you, man. I mean, it was last yeah. year I got invited to go eat supper with Donald Trump. And I was, mm-hmm. it was a proud moment for me. And you know what? If I got invited to eat supper with Biden and, and got talking, I would do the same thing. I do the same thing. But. I posted a picture of that and I got like 300 FUs in five minutes. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's from your fans. Yeah. 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 I just had to pull it down because it started getting people like arguing. Why in the world would you talk to him? And you've got half of them that are, that are glad half of them that are, but, um, you know, this is again, it's what it's going to take. I, I realize it's not the, um, most popular issue. And a lot of people just don't want anything to do with politics because of the way that the world's turned on it and how people go back and forth against each other. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, these were all people that talked on the show. They talked about the issue. They know what dad talk was about. And if they will come on there and represent, man, let's, let's kind of put politics to the side for a moment. They're out here mm-hmm. trying to address something that we've been wanting people to address for years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're going to continue reaching out to, to, to more and more of them, but uh, man, there's, I'm trying to think, I mean, Charlie Kirk, you name it. We've the who is who of the conservative realm has, has been on. And I've, I mean, we've reached out to a lot of the, the, the Democrats side of the aisle. I mean, I, Joe Biden came and spoke five minutes away from me when he was on the campaign. We tried our best to get to him. And mm-hmm. even now I would, um, but that didn't happen. He's not the best example of a good father. I mean, <laughs> I just, you know, we tried. I said it. Not Eric did not say it. For anyone listening, I said it. Well, you you kind of got to stay middle of the aisle. This I is know, a bipartisan issue, right? Uh, you're right. You're There's right. There's times right. that I, you know, I, I, I definitely let people know I'm conservative principle. Uh, sure. And that's where we get most of our support. But I, yeah. I, I try to stay as middle of the aisle and just, you know, support. You know, if there's a Democrat that's going to get out there and support our issues, which there are some. 
Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and the hope is that, you know, that the hope that fa- is that fatherhood won't actually end up being a, a political issue, at least not on the surface. I know that, you know, as you start looking into some of the deeper flows of politics and ideology and, and we might call like philosophy that fatherhood is in many ways the target, yeah. but at least on the surface, you would hope that politicians would begin to recognize that there's only so many generations that we can go undermining fatherhood before you know, you end up with mental illness and children underperforming economically, you know, competing with the world and, and you know, even social collapse in some regard. And we're starting to see some of those things. And it's not because of like an, an underpromotion of motherhood. It's because of a devaluing of fathers. Yeah. And the hope is that at some point people will begin to recognize that. That doesn't mean deifying fathers. And that's the thing is that you can celebrate fathers, you can honor fathers, but you don't have to deify fathers. You know, it's this is the, the nuance that people lose. It's like, oh, you're celebrating fathers. You mean you don't love mothers? Like, no. What? what? Stop. Just stop is the way that I, that's how I feel when I hear that. That is the, the biggest pushback we get is the moms too crowd. It, in order to speak in support of fathers, it must mean that you are against mothers. That's the most ridiculous thing. You can't have fathers without mothers. I cannot put anything on there with a pro father message without, a, you know, moms too, moms too. And I'm like, look, uh, you know, I had, I had a lady one time that reached out to me and she's like, you need to take this down. She was like, moms are going through this too. And like, you're, you're being biased. And I said, okay, I'm being biased. I am. I That's like, what I do. Dad talk today. <laughs> How many moms pages have you went to today and told them that they need to say dads too? And I was like, if you point me out to where you did that, I'll listen to what you just said to me. And then yeah. you tell me, then I'll listen to you claiming that I was biased. Um, these men don't have many places where they can go and they feel like their voices are heard. And, yeah. you know, I think us men are somewhat fighting for the equality of women more than anybody. Because when sure. we advocate, we're not advocating for men to be superior. We're advocating for equality, which was the, what the feminist movement was supposed to be about. Right. Um, men aren't saying, I want full custody and, you know, we, we need to get the majority every time. We're just saying, put us on the same level. All mm-hmm. we're wanting. And I think that is a pure message. It really is. But, um, yeah, man, when, when they show up preaching that, you know, I had there at one point in time, there was a bunch of them that was uh uh, rallying to get me to take dad out of the name dad talk they wanted me to call it parent talk today Ugh. because as a gender bias platform we got to do parent talk today and i said i'll never <sighs> take the dad out of dad talk that's the problem they want to take the dad out we want to put the dad back in yeah yeah exactly you got my wonder when i'm gonna start hearing like well you should call it the renaissance of people <laughs> it'll come it'll come it'll come no <laughs> no but there is, there is, that, that's a thing. It's like, well, like this is a gender biased platform. Like there are a thousand places that you could be right now talking about mothers. Like, why do you gotta, why do you gotta be here? I see this as just as widespread, as irrational societal shaming of men. And it, it has no basis in anything reality. And it's just, it's a sign of, it's a sign of uh, shame is a, is a force of power that can be used against men. And if you just say no to it, it has no power over it. And this sort of reveals itself for what it is, but nonetheless, it shows up. Well, it's a part of the cancel culture, right? Yeah. I think it was, yeah. it was just a way to cancel out the message and any and the importance and undermine any of the efforts and work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very disgusting. If you ask me again, I, I just pick out, you know, um, point out the hypocrisy. Like, how many women pages have you went to saying dads too? Right. I mean, all we're sitting here doing is trying to put a spotlight and you know talk about the joys of fatherhood. Then, if we wasn't doing this, we'd be deadbeats so that don't care. It's like no matter mm-hmm. which way you turn, 
You're going to have a finger point. pointed at you, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. If you just decide like, oh, we're not going to talk about dad stuff at all. It's like, oh, you're a terrible father. And if you talk about dad stuff, it's like, what do you mean? You don't care about mothers? It's like, okay, so you've just determined ahead of time that you need me to lose and you're going to say whatever you need to, to make sure that I do. And it's not actually about anything that you say with your lips that it's about. It's about something else. Yep. Sure is, man. It shows up. Okay. Well, like what can, like, what can, what can men listening? Okay. So let's just say that there's, there's men of all ages and, and, and stages of life who listen to this podcast, you know, uh, uh, young men, fathers, you know, somewhat older fathers, you know, elderly men, et cetera. Like what sort of things can they begin doing to contribute to this, to this issue um, and, and, and helping you with your mission or, or even showing up in their everyday lives or in their States or in their, you know, let's just say they're already good in their own home, but what can they begin to do to start spreading some of these values out there into the, into the world? Let's say, I think, you know, making sure that you're sharing shows and letting people know that there are resources out there, conversations like you were having earlier, talking about the importance of celibacy and uh, mm-hmm. prevention is better than the cure. I think that's one of the most important topics. By the time you reach it over to dad talk, we're over here in the arena where you've already kind of went, you know, past the point where you got to do yeah. some of the other things. Um, but you know, Research and educate yourself on what's going on. I'm not going to say that they're they're easily accessible. They are if you search for them. You're going to have to search and find. I'd say, um, you know, one thing I wish I would have done is read the myth of male power earlier on, get into some of Dr. Farrell's books and kind of realize what all is going on. Um, Find somewhere to get focused and get involved. I I think some local uh, men's um, support groups. You know, mm-hmm. would be a good thing. And, and with parental alienation, I think some live parental alienation support groups that we started doing in each town and really organizing ourselves, knowing who's in what state um, and, uh, you know, what talents you have, because everybody's got something different where they contribute, mm-hmm. um, you know, finding out where that's going to be and how you can put into it. Um, but it's, it's hard to, you know, say, and like I said, I have people that reach out all the time, like, how do we get involved? How do we get involved? Well, everybody's got a different heart and everybody's got, you know, different talents that they want to put in. But just like you uh, and me, we both got on here and got on a microphone, even though we was probably not wanting to hear our own voices or seeing our own reflection. We did it. No, we did it. Yeah. We found where we fit and where we could contribute and make sure you're not one of those people that just allow those fears. Um, to hold you back from, you know, going after your purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just had a, I had, I had a thought and a, a, an idea for you. You can do with it as you will, but just a thought that I had of, of something you can do with dad talk. I don't know if you're open to hearing it yeah. or we can talk about it after. Well, like I see, I know that it's very difficult for you being in the position that you're in as a man, you know, to sort of do one-on-one stuff because you start crossing the line and stuff that might be like legal advice and you don't want to go anywhere near that. So coaching is sort of like, you know, like I know Carnell does, he doesn't do coaching, but he has his own kind of services around there. That's like, it's kind of a murky area, but you know, I can see. I can see like, what if their fathers need support groups? It's, it's probably not, not the best term to call it like um, a support group, but men need to talk about what it means to be a father. And I, and I think around these issues, like maybe nationwide dad talk today, kind of men's groups, you know, with a model that you develop where it's like, Hey, this is, this is my whole thoughts from my years of experience in this world. Here's some things that men can do together under your brand. And, you know, maybe a way to bring men together in, in person, you know, to be together as, as a way to, as a way to, push the things that are important to you specifically so that men are talking about those subjects 
you know, um, uh, directly. I'd love to see that happen. I, I really would. Um, you know, when people are going through these problems, I think um, one of the best things they can have is not necessarily a podcast or hearing somebody telling them what to do, but just a listening ear. Somewhere yeah. where I can come and vent without fear of being judged or anything. And there's not a lot of places for these men to do that, especially when they're going to family court. Because a lot of people tell them to go to a counselor. Well, they go to the counselor and then that ends up in court. Everything that they said. Yeah. And so a lot of these guys have just became to where they feel like there's no hope. And we're seeing what the suicides rate is looking like in males. Um, Dr. Farrell said it was seven times higher than that of men than it is women. And yeah. having that place where they can have that listening ear and feel trusted. And I'm going to tell you, this this part of the community can be a little rough sometimes because you're taking people that have been through the system that are hurt and hurt people hurt other people. So they yeah. get in these parental alienation groups and you meet somebody else that's struggling with finances and their kids mm -hmm. and stuff. And that negativity can breed more negativity. Mm -hmm. So finding that place to where, you know, that's what, that's what one thing I'd suggest to you guys. Make sure you're getting in somewhere that's positive. Yes, we could all talk about the problems of the system and just sit here and and throw that fuel on the fire and get angry about it because you got plenty of reasons to be angry. Mm -hmm. But um, finding those reasons to kind of get your mind clear so that you can put your you know attention towards this goal and um, you know help other people be that be that listening ear that can be hard to navigate sometimes. But yeah, I think that's it. That's a great idea. I'd love to get something like that going. It's just finding the time sure yeah. of course what sort of things do you do, do you do you know um just as just as you move towards the close what sort of things do you do i mean you're obviously taking in so much negativity all day and you have your own frustrations and struggle and i know how difficult it is to be on the content creation grind on so many different platforms and what sort of things do you do to take care of yourself and make sure that you can be a support for all the men that look to you, that, that come to you, that message you? I can't even imagine some of the DMs and, and messages that you get. Like, What sort of things you know, does Eric Carroll do to care for Eric Carroll to be the guy that Eric Carroll needs to be? Um, I've done a little bit more recently. Last year, I, I just went as far as I could and almost hit burnout. And if you've ever hit yeah. burnout, it's really hard to get yourself back in there. Yeah, I mean, I was, tough. I was there. I, I definitely yeah. was. And it's, it's hard. We're, we're near a half a million followers. Now we are at a half a million followers and the amount of people that are reaching out, just wanting to tell their story and you can't get involved yeah. with everybody personally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did. I tried to do that early on and I realized I wasn't getting anything done because I was on the phone all day long and I was still coming up short, not being able to get in touch with everybody. So there's mm -hmm. times that I just have to turn turn my head away from some of the messages and stuff not because i don't want to get to them because i still yeah. got a family i mean there was nights i came in my daughter's crying it's like i just wanted to spend time with you and mm -hmm. it's like you're caught between those two worlds so taking that personal time is is huge it gets a lot of negativity from other people but i tell you one of the things i've done recently that's really helped me with this is video games because, <laughs> hey it works. Dude, when I get in there with the video games, it's it's that alternate reality and it gets yeah. my mind off of some of these issues, right? And so that's that's kind of helped me to have something like that and friends that I can talk to. A lot of them I get on there and vent to them about stuff that I'm doing with dad talk, you know, while mm -hmm. while playing these games. But that's been one thing. Um making sure you're dieting and, and, and taking care of yourself. I have a love-hate relationship with that because uh I love pizza. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, pizza, pizza's pretty good. Pizza's my kryptonite, but for the most part, I like to try to, <laughs> to, to exercise and take care of myself because when I take care of myself, I feel better about myself. I feel better in my yeah. presentation, the way I talk and everything. But um, I, I haven't been the best um, practitioner of, of taking that that time. And if you get in here, you see what all is wrong with the system. You don't want to quit. And I think, yeah. you know, you've already got that guilt if you can't afford to fight for your kid um, in, in the system. So it's like, as long as I'm working towards it, I know I'm doing something, you know, so you don't want to quit. Um, but it's, it's a marathon on a sprint. Mm-hmm. Can I ask what video games you like to play? So I am, I, I'm, I'm not really big in it, but I have been lately because my brother and a lot of people have been getting me on it. It's Fortnite. Before that, oh, cool. it, was, it was zombies. Like I used to like to play Call of Duty. I was a big Call sure. of Duty guy, but uh, yeah, there's there's something therapeutic about getting in there and and playing in that little alternate world. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I used to uh, I used to like to play adventure games like Uncharted, and that was my favorite series on PlayStation and and uh, Red Dead Redemption and stuff like that. Like, let me just disappear into a world and and forget for a while, for sure. I know, but I know that the social aspect. I would never let myself play multiplayer online games. Cause I would just watch my time just disappear. So I stay, I stick to story games that have a beginning, middle and end like a book almost. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love RPGs and stuff too, man. I just yeah. recently uh, beat the Witcher. The Witcher. Was, How was that? That was a good game. That was a good game. That's a good show too. But um, you know, I, I think trying to set a schedule, you know, before I would wake yeah. up at eight in the morning and go to sleep at four in the morning. And most of my <laughs> day was dad talk. No yeah. lie. Um, here, here, you know, I've been five o'clock. It's time to turn, turn the studio off and go inside the house. Um, oh, Saturday good. and Sunday, that's, that's time for the kids. Um, oh, good. And that's definitely brought um, a little bit more peace, peace to my life. But I'm, I'm still getting the messages of people, you know, needing help. And it's, it's sad because I understand they're looking for somebody and the lack of resources makes them feel that if you don't get back to them, that you don't care about your their story or that you've got yeah. alternate um, reasonings for doing it. It's just like, no, I had to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. Um, and that hurts me because they do need somebody. Mm-hmm. And you want to be the guy. Yeah. I mean, not, I mean, not even necessarily that, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't know that we touched on I this mean, like, yet though, Will. I mean, there's something about it. the movement. Okay. Yeah. Th- that, there's a lot of negativity like between organizations and stuff like that, that you got to keep your circle small because you don't know, you know, some, yeah. some people will uh, sink the ship just because they can't be captain. Oof, the gamma energy is what that's called. Yeah. yeah. And so it's not that we don't want help or we don't want volunteers. I mean, I just saw like a couple of weeks ago, another one of the, the advocacy organizations, somebody hacked their page and just completely took control over it. You know, here's a guy that had been building this for years and now it's gone. So you got to be careful because there, there's people that don't know what you've put into it. And, you know, the consequences of it that would love to just get you shut down or. And then <laughs> not only that, there is a certain way I've got to run things. I know there's certain messages yeah. that if I say it on Facebook, we're going to get fact checked. They're going to take us down. You know, if you yeah. say that one wrong word. Well, that might not seem like a big deal. Like if we lose our page, our biggest one that's got a half a million people in it, it's going to be a big deal. It could almost shut us down. Yeah. So we, we got to be careful and having to be mindful of all these things. It's, it's hard not to get other people on board. And plus, we don't have money. Yeah. I'm not charging for a service. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an expert. Uh, I, I think I made a hundred dollars in monetization off of my videos last year. Um, wow. we're, we're not making money. So mm-hmm. without being able to pay for help and stuff like that. And I mean, the reason that we got to the places that we did is there's people that believed us in us and have supported us, but, um, we need, we need some more hands on deck. And mm-hmm. if I knew it was places that you could 100% trust, um, there's a lot of challenges when it comes to talking to these men. They're, these are broke, hurt men for yeah. a reason. And uh, we got to make sure that we're, we're giving them that positivity because they could easily be gaslit. So I take that very serious. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a kind of caught between a bunch of different things. Like you're, you're a man, you have your own life, your own family, your own personal pursuits, and the need to recharge. You have your mission to create content and to, to, to share about what's actually going on in this world. And then you have your supporters and the people around you who, who either want to show support or are looking for advice or connection or anything. And somehow, you know, any one of those would be enough for a full day. You know, and yet you have you have triple, and plus there's your political your political activity as well. Travel, you know, and and an hour spent talking with a with a politician, you know, is one less hour spent in any of those other other areas. And they keep building up. And I don't think men have a have an, enough appreciation of uh, you know the content creators that they that they enjoy in this space. Like you know, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of work. It's a, it's a lot of work for sometimes not a lot of big monetary return. And then sometimes it feels like to even ask for a little bit of monetary return. It's like, Oh, you're in this for the wrong reason. Exactly. It's like, yeah. It's, and it's, it's a really tough spot. Uh, it's a really tough spot to be in because I, and I love getting all my DMS guys email me on, they message me on Instagram and stuff like that. And I love responding to them, but sometimes it gets to the point where it's like, I can't also be a podcast host and respond to your DM in a way that makes you feel seen and appreciated. Exactly. And and I don't know what to do. And because that's what I want you, I want you as a person writing me to know that I see you, I've read it. I appreciate you reaching out and I want to be genuine with you. And, and yet when there's a hundred people or whatever in that, it's like, it's a lot of, it's a lot of time. And yet how to show the gesture of respect anyway, it doesn't go away. It only, and it's a blessing. It's this, it's it a strange kind of thing. And, and to be, and I don't have a family. And so to be caught in all that, like it's a sign of success and that it's also like, oh, wow, there's so, there's so much need out there. And how do I meet it with just being one man? That's, that's, that's the struggle. And then there's times, you know, just being honest that we might not have an answer. We want it. We're working towards it, but we're those guys that just got in here and started doing our best that are trying to figure it out ourselves. Yes. So it's, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a constant struggle. I am thankful to be here and doing what we're doing though. I mean, it's, you know, giving voices to people like John and some of these yeah. other parents that were murdered and, and, and what's going on. It's getting there. It's getting yeah. there. Um, but you know, keep talking about getting people involved. That's, that's what we need to, to get happen. I would love to, you know, see other people start up stuff like dad talk or create some of these support groups. And if we could find some good, trustworthy people, I'd love it, man. But there is, mm-hmm. I mean, I even seen it inside the manosphere or like the father's rights realm, these organizations that just constantly turn on each other and, and create this unneeded drama. And I always say, when you see that and they're putting more attention towards that than out here in this legislative arena or doing what yeah. needs to be done, that should tell you everything you need to know. And you, yeah. you want to respond to it. You want to respond to it. But for the most part, you know. If you wrestle with pigs, uh, you both get dirty and the pig likes it. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. There's only, there's, there is only as men, I understand that there's a, there's testosterone, there's competition, you know, there's, there's banging ideas into each other and that's just natural part of who we are. Right. And, and yet there, it just seems like there are these things that have been happening lately where it's like, that doesn't need to happen. I, I don't want to see that anywhere near me. I want it to go away. And yet to say anything about it feeds into it. And it's like, what do you, what do you even do? Like this drama does not need to exist right now at all. Right. It just makes us all look bad. Stop. And yet you can't say that because it's like, then it's just going to create more drama. And it's a real, it's a real tragedy. And I hope that this is just a juvenile stage um, of the movement that, that we're all going to kind of grow out of. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do is like, look, there's a better, brighter future for, for men and for fathers and for families, uh, you know, that that's possible, but we have to have a spirit of like working together and dignity and maturity to, to get there. Otherwise we're just going to stay like as Cernovich called the manosphere that he called the manosphere, the ghetto of the internet, not because not, not for any, like uh, for any reasons, like it's, it's not sophisticated, but because it's like there's turf wars and there's tots of you know, beef and stuff like that. It's like, we got to get past that. We got to get past that and get to this better future. And the drama just is like, Oh, just, okay. Just make it go away. Now they want us to do that. I know they want us to do that. Then, then you yeah. know, cause it kind of gives credibility towards seeing it. Like I said, that that's who they are. Um, yeah. What what we're working towards here is bigger than any of us. I agree. It is bigger than any of us, and uh, no one person is going to be able to solve it. It's no. just not going to happen. Um, we need everybody together. And I mean, your, your kids and and the, your future family, um, or the family that you got now. It depends on us doing what needs to be done now. So, um, any of that, I'd, I'd stay away from it. It can be hard to do, but. And you're going to, yeah. you're going to experience it. If you get in here and start doing it, I mean, it's, it's going to happen. So just be mindful yeah. of when it does that. Um, if you're not experiencing it, you, you might not be doing something right. Right. There is something to be said for once you're drawing fire, you know, maybe you're doing something right. By the way, sorry if you can hear the symphony of leaf blowers that have just shown up outside my apartment, <laughs> but uh, if, if, it's, if that's distracting at all, but uh, certainly, certainly a lot for me. But yeah, there, if there is something to be said for, for if you're drawing fire, if, if you're, if you're having people come at you, there's a case to be made that maybe you're actually doing something, maybe you're actually doing something right. You're saying the things that really aren't kind of meant to be said, but that need to be said, right? And if you're not drawing fire, what are you what are you overlooking? Well, last week we have one of our advocates and personal friends that went viral. Um, Jeff Younger. You know, he was Oh yeah, I know Jeff. He was at the the college and he spoke in front of the, yeah. the kids with Antifa and everybody outside. They spit on him, they cussed him out, called him a deadbeat, they punched him on his way out, chased his car down. From what I hear was trying to pull him out of the car. And me, I'm sitting there watching this, like, I don't know that if I could do that. But at the same time was saying that was exactly what we needed. We need guys mm -hmm. like that. That's not afraid to get in the line of fire and everything. And my respect for him just hit the roof. But yeah. it was, it was one of those is like, you're seeing somebody that's doing some of the necessary actions and what it's going to take for that to happen. The dude, he's a hero. <laughs> it's like watching that. I mean, it, wow. And, and what he's fighting for. I mean, these are things yeah. too. Um, there's going to be issues that are going to arise that we as a movement can um, help before they go too far. The, the transitioning mm -hmm. of kids might not seem like a big deal yeah. yet. That is going to be a family court dream because of the psychologists and experts and everybody that's going to get involved. Money, 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 point. money. 
Um, So if we don't get in front of that now, try to get some legislation passed, it's it's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. Texas um, got out there and they, they passed that law. And to say that's child abuse, and that was one of the first in the nation, uh, somebody needs to go and get that legislation and take it all across the country. Because, mm-hmm. um, and it's being pushed. I'm having more and more parents that are reaching out now saying, my kid's going through this. And then they got the other parent in their ear saying that if they don't want this to happen, that they're the abuser. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, Yeah, that's a thing in Canada. Yeah. It's, it's going to be the wedge issue. They can use that to yeah. alienate too. And if you don't support it, um, so seeing Jeff, Jeff is kind of, you know, flying that flag for everybody right now. And that was, that was amazing. And that was a, that was a bold thing, man. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. he, I don't think anybody could have handled that crowd any better. And if, if you guys hadn't seen that, look up Jeff Younger at UNT. That is an mm-hmm. example of some of the things you might go through. Yeah. I, I happened to watch some of that and the, the collective insanity displayed by that crowd was just unbelievable you just look at it like what am i why they've all lost their minds all lost their minds like i just i don't get it i I really the only and i know that jeff is is an orthodox christian and a very devout man and and i think it's only it's only faith of that depth that can give you the strength to look at something like that because there's no way of understanding something like that outside of a spiritual explanation all the all the regular material you know explanations don't quite do it but you have to only look at this in a spiritual way and and he's the man to he's the man to look at that stuff um, i think and he's strong enough to do it and smart enough to do it well absolutely i mean I, uh, you guys pray for him make sure you go in, out and look for that that's he he's definitely a warrior behind the cause and i think that's uh, kind of the direction that we're going to see um this thing having to go i really do mm-hmm. Yeah. If we're not all strong enough to hang together to face up to that, like we'll have to be. Well, my first thought, Will, when I saw that video of all those kids in the classroom was how many of them grew up without a father? Yes. What you're seeing thousand percent. What you're seeing here is a fatherless generation. And this is the yeah. fatherless crisis right before your very eyes. The confusion, the whole nine yards, that was first thing that popped up. And I guarantee the majority of them are are facing that right now. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that I think we all kind of step into doing as men who participate in this work. That's like, we sort of stand in some of that father energy that's been so lacking. We've had to create it in ourselves. You know, we've had to become the men that we want to be as fathers. Then we represent that to other men. And then we sort of stand as this bulwark father energy against the fatherlessness that's out there. And I think that, that, that accounts for at least some of the, some of the attraction of men looking for help and support is they're looking to connect with some of the energy that has been deprived of them in their lives. And it makes total sense if that's the case. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and being a father and working in this too has made me look back on my dad. You know, things yeah. I didn't agree with growing up that now it's just gave me a whole new respect. And I think my mom would even go along with this. My dad was a strict one. He didn't want me to do anything. And, uh, you know, he would tell me no, or he'd get on to me about something. Then I go to mom because she had let me get away with it. And he would look at her and say, you're going to regret that one day. You need to let me be (laughs) his dad. And I told her not long ago, I was like, man, I hated it back then, but I look back at it now. And he was right. I I think a lot of women are holding these men back from being that father. And these kids need that. Look at the consequences from when that is not in their life. So, um, but yeah, man, that was that was uh, one of those things looking out in, in, in that video that really stuck out. If I'm wrong, I, I definitely apologize, but I don't, I don't think I would be. No, I don't think so. Because fathers, 
fathers, I think the job of a father in many cases is to say either no or no, but right. To say like, you have to lay down a boundary, discipline, law, or, you know, uh, 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 saying no, um, masculine self-control. And then there's also like, well, you're, you, I would, I would imagine, I'm not, again, I'm not a father, but I think that there's room to say, um, no, but you're going in the right direction. Maybe try this way and to redirect this energy in a, in a positive and constructive way. And for kids that grow up without fathers who just feel like they can say or do whatever they want, that don't have their energies and their interests controlled in a, in a direction. And then they enter into university and they're told that, you know, Western civilization is evil and they have to tear it down with all their energy. Like, like I look at, you know, girls who come into the university system and there's lots of different photos of this online. They're perfectly lovely high school girls and they go into college and they cut their hair and they gain 50 pounds and they dye it blue and they get covered in tattoos. And, and they, I see it as they are taught to hate their civilization so much and and they're going they're willing to destroy themselves to destroy civilization. I think that's just a mark of the mental illness that comes into that whole world and it just got all channeled at Jeff Younger. I watched mm-hmm. a, I watched a pastor pastor Doug Wilson uh spoke at uh, I think it was University of Idaho in Boise, you know, and pastor Doug Wilson's one of the most popular pastors in America and he ta- he was talking about biblical sexuality and the rage that was coming at him that he was on the receiving end of and it's like obviously no one's ever told these these kids no no one's ever said no to them and so now that's what you get i think the church plays into that a lot too man a lot of these pastors are afraid to preach in the politics and and morality in the pulpit that's needed you know we could go down that one too but um you know i'm seeing that too people are afraid to speak up for what's right and uh that's why again i think that was so impressive because uh that could have been a moment that they could have completely tried to cancel jeff and i wish they already have they've they've tried to do it but there's something interesting that i'm seeing right now that people are pushing back on that cancel culture i think a lot of it had to do with what happened to rogan and a lot of it's got to do with uh the way we see our our nation as of right now but this would be the perfect opportunity to really get out there and, and push this message um, to the people because more people are paying attention now. And I think more with an open mind as bad as things are, I know that's kind of weird to say yeah. that, but um, there, there is that pushback and Jeff got that message at the right time because the amount of support that he had, maybe not in that classroom, um, right. but outside of there was, was definitely overwhelming. Yeah. Cause you can't just look at these kids and support them and be like, Oh yeah, I agree with, I agree with the crazy people. They sound rational and right. No, I saw some messages even from a couple of the kids that they wrote back <laughs> later and said, um, you know, after seeing this, I'm completely disavowing, um, this group. And Lots of surprise. This, this was an eye opener. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Morgan, um, with dad talk, he was one of the, he was one of the cameramen that was actually capturing the video. And they, yeah, they commented that to him the other day and let him know, like this opened my eyes. I'm done with it. And like, I'm sorry. So, wow. I mean, it works. Yeah. Even if it was just one or two lives that, you know, completely changed because of that, that's one or two lives we should celebrate. Um, it's, it's pretty neat, man, to see that. And sometimes, you know, they, they might be so encapsulated in it and and, in that echo chamber that they've never really got to objectively look from the outside. What do we look like now? We see ourselves howling like wolves and, you know, beating on our desk and doing the things. Um, we need to put a spotlight on that. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of hope in there, actually. A little bit of hope in there. I'm sure it felt like going into the lion's den. <laughs> a thousand percent, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's a really, I think that's a really good place to leave it actually. This sort of like this glimmer of hope on the horizon of, of maybe how we can wake some more people up. And I, I know that you've got a lot of things to do and I want to be respectful of your time as well, but um, you know, where can men go to find out you, what you're doing, how can they support you? You know, how can, how can they, how can they um, help spread the dad talk today message to more men? You know, guys, I mean, sometimes um, just, just sharing our videos and letting people know it's out there. Um, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram is where we are the biggest. Um, uh, I'm on Truth Social. Uh, we got on there a couple of weeks ago. So far, I haven't seen any streaming on there, but we're also on okay. also on our terms like Clout Hub um, and, and a few others, uh, Rumble. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would really push for the men's movement to start going towards Rumble and let's get some okay. support over there. You know, okay. especially with what I was talking about earlier. So if you guys can go follow everything on Rumble. Um, but yeah, just getting out there, sharing, supporting, um, letting more people know that this exists is one of the things everybody knows somebody that's been through these issues. So I guarantee if you have that conversation, you'll find somebody that could probably use this content. Um, Mm -hmm. we are a listener supported podcast, so it's not one of those things I like to ask for, but if you know, there's ways, patreon.com slash dad talk today that you can get out and help, you know, subscribe a monthly amount. No matter how mm-hmm. small or how big, you know, you would like to help us get the message out. It costs a lot of money to do what we did last year. Yeah. It was 43 states we went to. It's capitals. Wow. And we shot the documentary and conferences, all the hotel rooms, rental cars, yeah. tolls, food. Um, food it, yeah. it costs a lot of money to get out there and push it the way it needs to be. And we still got a lot more that needs to be done. So any way you can support and uh, maybe, you know, there, there's an advocate that's watching this right now that's about to get on screen for the first time behind a microphone wheel, you know, mm-hmm. oh, hopefully that's what I'd like to see happen out of this is get some more of these guys in there and getting in the fight. And I appreciate you for, for listening and having me on. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Eric. This has been a fantastic conversation and you know, you have my full support for your message and what you're doing. I got a huge amount of respect for you wading into this, uh, this war and, uh, and, and really taking a strong stand for, for men and fathers who need it. And, and, um, and for men who don't want to do the work. So thank you so much. All right, Will. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.